Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console. Xbox. I'm said host Jesse DeRosa and on today's episode we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of December 1st 2022 including Microsoft and Sony could be nearing an agreement to help speed along the Activision sale. Bethesda's Todd Howard speaks on being Xbox first party and even drops a bit about the upcoming Indiana Jones game. Jez Corden from Windows Central has a fun scoop on what could have been evolution of Xbox achievements and more. On this day in Xbox history in the year 2015, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege released for the Xbox One. That's that's another one of those games that just, I can't believe where the time has gone, although I don't have much personal tie to that game because I was never much of a Siege fan or, I don't know, I I liked Rainbow Six New Vegas. That was like the only one I ever played was, was it Vegas 2? The one that was like a relatively early Xbox 360 game? I played that one a bunch, but I know it's very different from Siege, um, but I, don't know, I never really got into Siege, but Siege is one of those games that's, it's such a big game going on in the background, or at least it was until rather recently that, you know, it's like you can't, you can't not know what Rainbow Six Siege is, you know, it's like, it's in there, that category of like Rocket League, Fortnite, it's just it, a game that I know is really big and people really love it, it's in the background, but I'm just not really paying much attention to it personally, but Rainbow Six Siege, you're seven years old, which means you are now legally old enough to be underage. So there you go. All right, so welcome to Xbox on episode 183. Yes, it's the 183rd episode or week of Xbox on. I can't believe I've been doing this for 183 weeks in a row. This is the most committed I've ever been to something other than like eating processed food and sleeping. But uh, guys, I'm excited to have you here today. I'm excited to be here to talk to you all today. I'm feeling good. I feel like I'm in a little bit of a rejuvenated sense with Xbox. You ever have that thing where, like, just kind of cleaning up and organizing your space can kind of, like, just, I don't know, it just whips you into shape. There's something about it. So this weekend I I took some time. Well, I, I, we'll get into it a little later, but I took advantage of some Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals to kind of spruce up my podcast, streaming, YouTube, whatever setup. And uh, it got me kind of, like, reinvigorated and excited because I had to, like, take down everything from my desk. I had to, like, go through and wipe everything down, some things were getting dusty here and there, a couple action figures, my computer monitor, things were getting dusty, so wiped everything, cleaned everything down, reorganized some things, put some things away, tidied up the cables and everything, and now my desk space just feels so, it just feels so complete, feels really comfortable right now, like everything's clean, everything's organized and focused, and and it's kind of reoriented me and gotten me like excited about talking Xbox, something about cleaning up my Xbox gaming workspace has gotten me excited to talk to you about a potential lawsuit between Microsoft and the FTC over the $69 billion proposed acquisition of Activision. Don't don't ask me how that makes sense. It just does, okay? But uh, yeah, with that out of the way, guys, let's start out as we have been doing for the past month or two uh, by noting the important games that are coming out this week as we kind of start to close out the busy season. I would say the busy release season for video games. Let's talk about the new games of note coming out this week of which there are four games that I would say are like can't miss super critical 
to just note are are out there. I'm sure between the four of these games, most people will find at least one that they're somewhat interested in. I know I'm pretty interested in three of them. So anyway, the big one as of the day I'm recording this on Wednesday, November the 30th is Warhammer 40k Darktide. Finally, this game is out. Finally, 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 with a big caveat, which is that uh, it's not on Xbox quite yet. It is just released for PC, but it is on Game Pass for PC. So it's technicality, you know, it's kind of an Xbox style because you play it on a Windows PC, you play with your Game Pass subscription, you just don't play it on your Xbox. So this game is coming to Xbox, they say early 23, so the rumor is it could it could be as soon as like, you know, February or so, March, before we get this game on Xbox, and I'm hoping for that because this is a game I've very much been looking forward to since, I don't know, when was it announced? 2020, I think this was first shown at that Xbox Series X um third party kind of summer event showcase they did early in the pandemic if you remember so i think that was the first time they announced this game and immediately i was like that looks cool that looks cool that looks cool please don't suck and you know it seems like so far people are really high on this game people have played it so i'm really excited to get into it first thing i did when i got home today was uh ran to my computer and initiated the download so that as soon as i'm done finishing up the podcast tonight I can maybe get in there and give it like 20, 30 minutes before I go go to bed and just get a taste of what the game feels like. I'm very curious to see if this game will finally break the curse of games that are deeply inspired by Left 4 Dead but are woefully inadequate. And uh, God, here's hoping because Back for Blood couldn't do it. I don't know what can, but Warhammer 40K, Dark Tide, you look very good. Please be very good. That's the first one. That's November 30th. It's out now by the time you're listening to this. The second big game, and this will be out this Friday, so if you're listening to this podcast on release day, uh, you got one day to go before these two, three big hitters uh, come out, especially these first two, which I know have been highly anticipated. First one is The Callisto Protocol, which is that new, essentially, spiritual successor to Dead Space uh, by new studio Striking Distance, which is owned by Krafton. So Krafton, the publisher and owner of PUBG, that's the parent company, they own this new studio called Striking Distance, which is comprised of a lot of like ex-Sledgehammer games, people who worked on Sledgehammer Call of Duty games, and more importantly, people who used to work at Visceral and work on like Dead Space and stuff, including Glenn Schofield, who's like the father of Dead Space. So knowing that this is basically like a, a reimagining of Dead Space in all but name has, you know, has me very excited because as a recent, you know, as as listeners of the show might know, I recently became a huge fan of Dead Space, and so I am highly, highly anticipating this game. I already have it pre-ordered, pre-downloaded on my Xbox, ready to go. I cannot wait to dive into this this weekend, assuming that I finish up Evil West first. Uh, but yeah, the Callisto Protocol, highly, highly uh, anticipated title for me, for sure. The, the last game of this year that I'm just like itching to play, so you know third person action horror game that we got there the other big one and this this game I'm, i have zero if i'm just being quite honest zero interest in playing but i cannot help but notice that there is a a very very loud and fervent kind of uh, hunger for this game it seems like people are really really looking forward to it uh, and reasonably so i'm um, talking about marvel's midnight suns which also comes out this friday december 2nd uh, that will be on pc and series x and s and uh, that's that's being developed by Fraxis, the guys that make those XCOM games and, uh, you know, obviously highly regarded studio when it comes to like that strategy, tactical type gameplay. And uh, the reviews are pretty impressive for this game. It seems like people are really into it, that it has a, a lot of like it's a lot more than just like a strategic tactical kind of game. And that's got a lot of uh, I saw one man. I don't know who was it. Maybe it was VGC. But one outlet was saying that it's even got like a little bit of persona 
DNA in it, which is which is a really interesting comparison. But uh, yeah, this game it looks like people are really excited for it. it. Looks like early impressions are quite strong, and that's I know that's one I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably looking forward to just based on how overall it seems people are excited for it. So Marvel's Midnight Suns, the second of the three big, or I guess the third of the three of the four big releases. Sorry, I can't I can't count. Uh, the third of the four big releases this week, and the last one is a game that I'm actually quite interested to play, but ha- has not gotten pretty much any any coverage whatsoever. I feel like no one is talking about this game yet. It is an entry in a long-running beloved series that you know definitely has has uh, has since peaked, you know, since the early to mid 2000s, but is no doubt still a pretty notable franchise. And that, of course, I'm talking about here is Need for Speed Unbound. Uh, comes out Friday, December 2nd. And what's notable about this for Xbox players is if you are a subscriber to EA Play or a Game Pass Ultimate subscriber, because with Game Pass Ultimate you get EA Play, um, you get a 10-hour trial of this game. So similar to how they did with Battlefield 2042 last year, um, if you have Game Pass Ultimate or EA Play, you can download the full game, and you basically just have unlimited access to it for 10 hours. So you can do anything you can do in the game in 10 hours. And so I already downloaded this game. I'm really excited to give it a try as well this weekend because personally speaking, like just from what we've seen and we haven't seen too much again, EA has done publisher. EA has not done a great job of really driving home, you know, the, no, no pun intended, um, you know, what this game is all about and, and really pushing it and promoting it too much. It seems like they're just kind of quietly squeaking it out, which is odd because in my opinion, it looks like the most compelling Need for Speed we've seen in many, many years. I think the last Need for Speed I really truly gave a shit about was the 2012 Need for Speed Most Wanted. Uh, But the last time Need for Speed was like, you know, glory heydays, I think for most people was back in like the OG Xbox days with Need for Speed Underground 1 and 2. And this game definitely looks like it's trying, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of influence from Need for Speed Underground, but also with just a really striking and unique art style we don't see in games a lot. It has a very much like a, 24 frames per second kind of like sketch cartoony graffiti kind of uh like that spider-man um enter the spider-verse movie from a few years ago that sony did it kind of reminds me of 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 that in its in its art style and so i don't know it looks really striking it looks really cool i love the graffiti cartoony kind of effect over everything and i think this game looks really cool um you know for you know as something that's already included in my game pass subscription i'm definitely excited to give it a go and see if maybe it's something I want to invest more than just the 10 hours in. And so Need for Speed Unbound, lots of good games. And on, on top of that, you know, these games that are coming out right this second, we already have this this backlog of shit that just came out that's still exciting. You know, Modern Warfare 2 is still really fresh and, and awesome. Evil West just came out, all this stuff. So there's tons and tons to play. And, and, and I know, guys, I know. 99% of you listening out there are like, but Jesse, where will I find time to play the Callisto Protocol when I'm still balls deep in Sonic Frontiers for the Xbox Series X, released November 9th, 2022? I get it, guys. It's hard to put Sonic down, so you got you got to budget things. You got to budget your time. You know, it's not it's not it's not just as simple as sacrificing one game for another. You got to look at your life holistically and say, where else can I cut out some unnecessary time sinks and maybe allocate a little bit more for my gaming interests, my gaming hobby. And that's, you know, as I said on the podcast before, that's where your family comes into play, man. Your little four-year-old, 
fuck it. Four sucks, dude. They'll be better when they're 18. Then you can kick them out of the house and maybe they can make money, become a famous YouTuber, and they can and they can pay to keep you going. You know what I mean? So fuck it. Don't spend time with your little kid. Your wife, does she really need you? Your husband, whoever it is, does he really need you? Doesn't matter. They're, they're irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. Job, who the fuck likes work? Why would you spend time at, at, at your job when you don't like your job when you could spend time playing the Callisto Protocol, which you probably will like? That just seems like easy logic, an easy thing to wrap your brain around. So maybe you should be, you know, getting your priorities in line and spending more time tackling these new releases and less time on frivolous things like family and work. So that's just my two cents. You know, I'm, what do I know? I'm just a fucking small-time podcast host, but... I don't know if you if you wanted there there's my advice but that's it for the big games coming out this week. Now, we still do have a couple more notable games coming out in the uh, coming weeks as we round out 2022 including of course High on Life, a game I think we will discuss a little later in the show. We've got a comment in about that. So, we'll we'll get to that later, but um yeah, I mean again, the 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 just amount of hype for all these games just continues to be Super high, not just because I. Not, that's not my way of saying. Oh, these games are all awesome. Trust me, don't even bother. You know, looking at reviews, just sink your money and forget about it. But just to say that these, between all the games that have come out recently, there's definitely been a wealth of interesting and unique titles in a year that has otherwise been a little bit, you know, not a little bit. Let's say a lot of it, just dry and devoid of of serious content. So it's an exciting time. I'm excited. My desk is clean, guys. Can you tell? My desk is very clean. I'm very excited. Uh, all right, but that's it for now. Let's transition over to our traditional opening segment, uh, the stories of mild amusement, the corrections, the updates. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll put this as an update, a little bit of an announcement, really, more than anything. For next week's podcast, and I, you know, I got, I got to make it very loud and clear because if someone's going to forget, and they're going to reach out to me on Twitter and say, did you die? Did your podcast end? What happened? Where are you? Next week's episode will not go live on Thursday. I know the podcast always goes live on Thursday. Jesse, what the fuck are you doing? Well, next Thursday is December 8th. And if that sounds like it might matter, it's because it does. Thursday, November 8th, or December 8th, rather, is the Game Awards. So I don't want to do a podcast on Wednesday, the 7th, you know, and then upload it on on Thursday, the, the, the 8th. It doesn't make sense because so much of next week's biggest stories are going to be announced during the Game Awards because the best part of the Game Awards isn't the awards. It's all the trailers and announcements and E3 type information we get out of it. And so I'm going to just save myself the stress and the worry and be respectful of your time and not ask you to listen to a bare bones podcast next week. That doesn't include the game awards info. And what I'm going to do is we're going to delay the podcast. So here's the deal. Here's the outline because the game awards is Thursday night, very late at night. It's usually from like, like seven to 10 or something like that at night. It's pretty late uh, on East coast time, at least. And, um, so what what we'll do is on Thursday, instead of the podcast going live, I will be live on my Twitch channel streaming the Game Awards. We can chat and hang out and talk about things as they're happening in real time. So on twitch.tv slash lightningextreme, you can follow me there. And on Thursday night for the Game Awards, we will watch it together and we can chat and we can eat Domino's pizza and, and, and wonder why we're getting fat while we sit in our chairs eating pizza and drinking soda. And it'll be a good time. And then on Friday, you know, I, unfortunately I have a day job. I've got to go to work that day. Well, after work, <laughs> I will come home, record the podcast, edit the podcast all night Friday, get that all ready for you, and it'll give me some time to collect my thoughts and reflect on the Game Awards, and uh, we'll do a whole podcast about the news that week plus everything that happened at the Game Awards, and that episode will go live probably first thing Saturday morning. So apologies in advance. I know there are some people who rely on this show as like their 
Thursday, Friday work commute kind of podcast. And I do, I do understand that's disappointing because I am also a commuter who relies on certain podcasts to be available on their scheduled time so that I can suffer through my miserable, miserable Orlando traffic commutes. But um, I just think for the for the the situation that we're facing here with the news this week, I think it just or next week rather, I think it just makes the most sense. So next week's podcast that would normally have gone live on Thursday the eighth will actually be going up early on Saturday morning the tenth, so that we can accommodate all the news coming from the Game Awards. And uh, you can follow me on Twitch.tv/LightningExtreme if you want to watch the Game Awards live with me on Thursday night. So. All right, we'll drop that there. I know many of you are just like, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. Please tell me about Sonic Frontiers. I need to hear about it for the fourth week in a row. So we'll get there, I promise you. But um, just had to get that news out there for those who I guess it pertains to. All right, guys. So back to the rest of in, in the regular kind of stories of mild amusement and updates and things of that nature. First one, let's, let's do a little bit of this Microsoft Activision shit just so we can get out of the way. And we'll get into the other stuff. And then in the main news segment, we have more Activision Microsoft stuff. However, that stuff is actually a little more interesting. So, all right, our first one here is from VGC because they're the best source for all things video games. And it reads, Microsoft's proposed Activision Blizzard acquisition has been approved unconditionally in Serbia. According to Reuters, Serbia has joined Saudi Arabia and Brazil in clearing the $68.7 billion deal, which is currently being scrutinized by antitrust regulators globally. Now, like I said, we'll talk about this this story, this ongoing Activision, Microsoft, Sony crap, more in the main news segment. But this is obviously a little, a little tidbit that I want to get out here. Obviously not big enough to really get in depth with, so I didn't put in the main news segment along with the other info. But I did want to just get it cleared out at the top of the show. Not to be disrespectful uh, if we have any Serbian listeners, Serb listeners, right? Anyway, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful. It's just that I, I don't see how you know Serbia unconditionally approving this deal really means a whole lot of anything. And that's not to be like, you know, some parts of the world matter more than others. It's just that really when it comes to like big corporations potentially monopolizing and consuming one another, the the places where, you know, these kinds of regulatory boards and really where we really focus on potential scrutiny and and people really okaying or denying the deal usually would, would pertain more to places like Europe or North America. And so that's why when we see the FTC or the CMA scrutinizing this deal it's a little more like okay guys pay attention something's happening here whereas you know dude brazil's fucking crazy dude you think they're out there murdering their police in cold blood left and right and what do you fucking think dude it's brazil i'm kidding that's that's actually really rude sorry sorry we actually have a decent amount of brazilian listeners so i apologize for being a dick but what what i mean is 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 just that historically there's not like a big precedent for like oh yeah the brazilian regulatory body's really gonna give you know, Google hell for acquiring Android or something like that. So you just you, you expect, I guess, to run into potential trouble a little more with like the the CMA or the FTC is is, is all I mean by that. But good to know it's one less hurdle for us to endure as we wait for this deal to finally fucking end so we can go back to talking about video games instead of legal actions that we don't quite understand or I should speak for myself actions that I don't quite understand. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that's that's that. All right, moving on. Uh, next up, VGC reports that the Xbox Series X was one of the most sought-after devices during Black Friday, it has been claimed. A holiday 2022 shopping trends report published by Adobe, uh, I guess the Photoshop guys, I don't know, has been updated to include its findings from last week's Black Friday sales. According to the report, the Xbox Series X was one of five, quote, hot products during Black Friday. The other four were children. Were the children's show Bluey. I still don't know 
where that is. What, what is that? Is that a Netflix show? Is that a Nickelodeon show? What is that? I, I keep seeing it, the dogs. Anyway, the other four items were the children's show Bluey. I don't know if that's like merchandise or the DVD box set or whatever. Uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, drones, just drones, and MacBooks. So uh, it says Adobe hasn't specified how it defines what a hot product is nor how it explains. It doesn't explain the factors it took into account when determining what makes Xbox Series X more of a hot product than, say, PS5, Xbox Series S, Nintendo Switch, whatever. Uh, however... Last year, in 2021, they highlighted that Xbox Series S was a hot product in a similar report. So I guess now it, we've gone from the Series S to the Series X, which is interesting. I, I guess uh, an impending economic downturn makes people want to spend an extra $200 on their Xbox consoles. I don't know. But last year, Adobe said that its data came from analyzing a trillion visitors and retail stores in addition to surveying over a hunt or sorry, over a thousand retailers on most popular items. Uh, it's not clear if the similar process was used this year to ascertain this data. Now, obviously, one thing when we're comparing last year with Series S being more of a quote unquote hot product than Series X, it is probably safe to assume that has to do with supply more than price, uh, just because you know early in a console's generation. I think people are just hungry for all of whatever's on store shelves. So even if Series X is more expensive, um, I, I, I still think in its early days, you know, Series X is going to sell every fucking copy Microsoft can get onto store shelves. Whereas, you know, maybe five years into a console lifecycle, you're probably selling more of the entry level cheaper console like the Series X, uh, sorry, Series S. But uh, nonetheless, it is interesting to see how somehow the Series X ends up on top, which is weird because I, I feel like Series X is. The console I hear people talk about the least, obviously, you know, if you're like a hardcore Xbox gamer, like probably anyone listening to this podcast, yeah, your eyes are set on the Xbox Series X way more than any other console on the market. But you think about most people, it's like, well, PlayStation is just generally more popular than Xbox. So obviously, PS5 is a more highly sought after item by default there. And then when it comes to Xbox, generally, you know, the most affordable SKU is the one people are after. So the Series S should theoretically, and I'm sure is and will, way out sell the series x just because you know affordability um so it, it is weird that somehow in this in this ongoing market of like how do i get a ps5 how do i get how do i get a ps5 how do i get a ps5 how do i get a ps5 and also in the background it's like oh series s is a great low console for 300 bucks and now it's black friday sale 250 now it's black friday sale 240 and all this that we've seen recently somehow series x was the one that kind of came out on top so i don't really know what to make of that data nonetheless it is exciting to see xbox just really really just uh coming back a lot from the, the last generation obviously there's just a lot more respect and enthusiasm for the brand i mean it's really showing with the uh the continued demand despite you know the the, the restraints of the supply chain for these consoles now with that said, I do wonder if maybe Xbox or Microsoft were able to get more Series X's out on the store shelves for Black Friday than maybe Sony was able to do with the PlayStation 5. And if that's the case, maybe that had something to do with it. But then again, last thing I'll say is I do also want to I am also curious to know if the survey information is just North America, just the U.S., just like what markets in particular, because if you're looking at, I mean, I guess, I don't know how I'm sure black Friday is somewhat of a global affair at this point, just because I mean, consumerism knows no cultural bounds. So 
I, I, I do wonder if uh, this is just talking about like an American market because I can understand that Xbox is a really competitive brand, especially domestically here in, in the U.S. and just in general with the North American market, you know, as well as some other markets like in certain parts of Europe and in Australia and things like that, places like that. But, um, I, you know, if we were like going to compare these these hot product items globally, it's no no chance in hell. You know, people are way more interested in PlayStation. But then again, we are also talking about the other competition being uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 drones, MacBooks, and a children's show called Bluey. So it is quite possible that we are just talking about either the U.S. or North America. So, yeah, I mean, hey, good for Xbox. That's good news. Demand seems to be continuously strong for the Series X as as these consoles begin begin to become a little easier to get your hands on, um, if anything, just because so many people who have been just so fervently attacking these uh, opportunities to buy have probably gotten their consoles by now. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, continues, you know, two years in, continues to be damn near impossible to get these fucking consoles with ease. And... Um, the demand is just through the fucking roof. So congrats to you, Xbox. You're, you're selling your console like crazy. And uh, let's let's do, I think we got actually two more before we uh, jump into the proper news this week. So two hours, and this is just kind of more of a warning than anything. I guess I really put, should put this up at the top when we were already talking about Callisto Protocol, but VGC relays that uh, players have, a, certain players have uh, been able to obtain copies of the Callisto Protocol ahead of its official release. And as a result of that, roughly the first two hours of the game has been shared and leaked online. Um, so just spoiler alert, if you're trying to go in blind, if you're trying to not have any of this spoil for you, Callisto Protocol footage, lots of lots of story footage is out there. So just be sure to uh, shy away from that if you are, or just be aware that's out there if you're trying to stay quiet before the game comes out. Uh, I guess, you know, that, 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 that announcement doesn't mean a whole lot because by the time most people are listening to this podcast, the game's already out, but... Still, just want to put that disclaimer out there for you in case it matters. And lastly, our last story of mild amusement or update here is that uh, it's coming from Windows Central. So, hey, we're not, it's not all video, video games chronicle. But uh, Xbox is uh, released a new gag gift this holiday, last holiday season. We got the Xbox Series X mini fridge. Uh, this year, we got something that is, I would argue, even more useless than an Xbox Series X mini fridge. And it is the uh, Xbox mini controller hoodie. Uh, which is available now on the Xbox Gear Shop for $25 US. It's available in black and white, and it ships worldwide in time for the holidays if you order now. I don't, yeah, I don't, I mean, <laughs> let me explain for people who are like, what do you mean the Xbox hoodie controller? What do you What do you mean? Is it like a like a sweater for people that has the Xbox controller on it? No. This is a, uh, it's an accessory for your actual Xbox controller, like the input device you use to play your video games. And it is a little, like, sweater, like a hoodie, that like a human being would wear, but it is shaped for your Xbox controller. It serves no purpose. It's just aesthetic. It's just for, I guess, the social media appeal, the shareability, the gag of it all. And, you know, I listen, I have no problem with this. I, I like that Microsoft, especially this generation, has leaned more and more into the kind of being goofy and playing with it and having fun with their audience. I think it's much more fun than them, you know, like, you know, in the 360 days, especially when they were very, like, buttoned up and professional, like, we are the leading brand in gaming right now. It's like, yeah, but you're a little, you're a little boring, you're a little corporate. So, like, I, I enjoy the camaraderie and the fun of them being, like, you know, Aaron Greenberg being out there on Twitter, like, here's a stupid fucking mini fridge that looks like an Xbox, and here's, you know, what would they do? They had, like, fucking Snoop Dogg got sent an actual refrigerator that was the, that looked like an Xbox Series X, and they just do stupid shit like this all the time. They did that, like, 
Backstreet Boys or Boys to Men ad for Game Pass or whatever the fuck it was a while back, and I don't even know what I'm talking about. They just do a lot of this fun, like, gaggy community shit that just, it kind of keeps them in touch and keeps them fun and relatable for their audience. And of course it is all just kind of corporate marketing to make the brand relatable and cool to the young people. Uh, it, it is, I, I think still, it, it's fun. It, it, it makes the brand fun. It makes the community feel a little, you know, it's, it, it adds that extra layer to the community where you feel like you're kind of a part of something that's a little more close knit because it's just like, you know, to most people, Xbox is just that, thing that sweaty kids play when they're children or when they want to play halo or when they want to have no social life and be unable to attract the opposite sex but for um you know for people who are actually fans this is a, these these are really fun ways to kind of make the community feel a little more homey and to make it feel like you're a little bit more part of something when you're just like into this stupid brand like xbox and Oh, look at this. They released a, a little hoodie I can put on my controller and I can post that on my Twitter, my Instagram, and my other friends who are dumb enough to be uh, obsessively consumed by Xbox will be like, oh, you got the stupid $25 jacket for your Xbox controller. Meanwhile, you know, you go outside in the freezing cold and you refuse to buy yourself a proper jacket for the wintertime. You know, it's like that kind of thing. But <laughs> it, it is all in good fun. And I, I do, um, even though this is something I would not be buying and I find kind of just dumb, <laughs> I do appreciate the... Um, just the kind of like camaraderie and the stupidity and the fun that comes with this, because I do think, I do think it, it, it adds a lot of personality to the brand. Like you look at PlayStation right now and PlayStation is so buttoned up and kind of dry and boring that it's like, it's almost less fun to be in the PlayStation camp right now. And uh, I, I really like that Xbox does a lot of this shit. I feel like, and the only reason I really compare them directly to PlayStation is because I feel like PlayStation used to be the brand that was actually more like this, you know, back in the day, like back during the 360 days, I feel like PlayStation used to be a little more ridiculous. They had, like, that Kevin Butler guy that did all the funny ads. They used to come out on stage at E3 and just say and do ridiculous shit. And, like, that's fun. That, that, that stuff made PlayStation cool. I'm sure for PlayStation fans, that made that, like, a good time period to, like, be in the PlayStation ecosystem and to feel like you were a part of something. And I feel like Xbox has really taken the reins with this and kind of run with it. And it just comes from all facets, you know, them just being super consumer focused with like always adding features and updates to their consoles that like no corporation is obligated to do, but they do it anyway, just because it, you know, makes their fans happy and it's fan servicey and they just do stupid little gag gifts like this. And, you know, they just do funny tweets and little marketing campaigns for Game Pass and these kinds of things add up and it just makes you feel, you know, if you're an Xbox, if you're an integrated Xbox user, it just makes you feel like you're part of something fun. So I don't know. I I, I'm just, I am kind of repeating myself at this point, but uh, I, for as much as I, I don't personally plan on wasting $25 on a small hoodie for my Xbox controller, I do I do see the value in this and, and why it is fun. And so I just want to not be the negative Nancy I generally am and just try to be I try to be optimistic about uh, about the silliness of of the situation here. Sometimes it's okay to be to be goofy. Okay, did you guys know that? All right, that's it for all of our stories of mild amusement updates and things of that nature. Our next big segment is going to be the news, but you know we don't just run straight into the news head first. That would be dangerous. That would be irresponsible. We got to stop. We got to put on elbow pads, knee pads, put on a helmet, get some ointment on there. Make sure you get that cream in case you chafe. You don't want to be you don't want to be some kind of buffoon out there. So we like to dig it slow. We like to first talk about the games we've been playing of the week to get us ready to talk about the news. But before we even talk about the games, we take it even slower because we are borderline stupid on this podcast, and we like to talk about the things we've been eating. So let me tell you about what I've been eating. You guys, we're a week removed from Thanksgiving. What do you think I've been eating? 
Huh? Steak. Okay. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Thanksgiving. I guess we'll talk Thanksgiving because that that is the most notable food-related thing to have happened to me in the past week. So, yeah, last Thursday here in the U.S., it was Thanksgiving. I know the majority of our audience is probably U.S. listeners, so I'm sure you're aware of that. Uh, but for Thanksgiving last week, my, my girlfriend and I, we made a four-and-a-half-pound prime rib. Mac and cheese, mashed potatoes, some grilled asparagus, some creamed spinach, and uh, it turned out quite good. And I'm, I'm I'm pretty pleased with myself because this is the second year now we've done this where we've foregone the conventional turkey stuffing, mashed potatoes, cranberry sauce kind of Thanksgiving, and instead have done more of a uh, bullshit like steakhouse style prime rib, old fashioned cocktails, asparagus and spinach and mashed potatoes kind of thing. And uh, it's, um, dude, it's good shit. I, first of all, I, I want to highly recommend it while simultaneously highly uh, encouraging you to avoid doing something like this at all costs. Because he- here's the thing. You make a prime rib and you live alone with your girlfriend. It's just you, your girlfriend, and your cat that doesn't eat prime rib, okay? And, uh, you know, it's Thanksgiving and you make your four and a half pound prime rib. And at first you're like, this fucking rocks. People who make turkey are stupid. I love prime rib for Thanksgiving. Let's do this every year, right? So you're eating your prime rib. It's a, it's all good. You're having the last laugh. And then the next day, you wake up and you're like, huh, I'm hungry. What do we got? Hmm. Well, we've got like two and a half pounds, three pounds left over of this prime rib. Let's eat prime rib. And so you think, wow, I'm probably going to get sick of this. But you don't. And you eat prime rib again. And it's still good. And you're like, oh, fuck, yeah. This is the way to go. Fuck turkey. And then on day three, you're just like, okay, uh, I'm hungry. What, do I, what am I going to eat today? Oh, I still have like a pound and a half of prime rib in my refrigerator. Let me uh, pop that in the oven for a couple minutes, warm it up, and, and get a slice of that. And it's at this point you realize, oh, my God, I just realized my heart is beating at 300,000 beats per minute. And uh, I'm sweating profusely. And also, I keep seeing my dead grandparents uh, whispering in my ear, telling me, it's okay. I'm going to see them again. I'm going to see them again. And at, some, at this point, you realize, if I don't stop eating copious pound after pound of, of just medium rare beef, I will be dead alone in my apartment with no one to love me but my cat. So I, I do, do want to warn against this. Maybe uh, maybe don't do something like this unless you're going to have a Friendsgiving or you're going to have a family to share with or you're not going to have, you know, you get a small enough cut of meat that you just can guarantee you won't have leftovers. Because uh, I will say after four meals of prime rib this past week, I did not get tired of the prime rib once. That's how good it was. So I don't know if that's just, you know, a, a shout out to how good of a cut of meat this is or if I just prepared it well enough I, or maybe a combination of the two. I don't know. But I did not get tired of eating prime rib, but I do feel like I have 10 fewer years left in my life as a result of four days of prime rib. So, guys, don't make the mistake I did. Maybe eat something a little healthier. I'm trying to think, like, what's a healthy meat? Like turkey? Turkey's a pretty healthy meat. Maybe, maybe do turkey next year for Thanksgiving, and that's my advice to you guys. So that's what I've been eating. Let me know if you guys have any shenanigans or fun Thanksgiving stories you want to share with us. Uh, I'd love to hear them. Otherwise, uh, let's just talk about, the in general, the food we've been eating. I think Taco Bell brought back some kind of enchilada this past week that I, I was never nostalgic for, but apparently it was a big deal, and I, I missed it by the time I realized they had it. I already had, I already missed the chance to get it, so... Oh well is what it is, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk. We'll get back to more regular food, especially for you international listeners. I'm sorry you're over here thinking, what the fuck is Thanksgiving, and or why the hell do you celebrate a day uh, where where a bunch of pilgrims wore disgusting hats that did not match their belt buckles? And I'll say, dude, it's just an American tradition. You got to have some respect for our ancestors that stole land and and enslaved many, many, many a people while eating the blandest, driest bird meat in the world. I don't know what to say. 
But that was my Thanksgiving. So thank you for listening to that. And I guess now we can move on to the more interesting aspect of these two segments where we talk about the games. The games. Here are the games I've been playing. Let's talk about that. So, man, I have a I actually have a buttload of stuff to talk about here. So we can we can just make this the whole podcast if you'd like. But uh yeah, this past week I've had plenty of um experiences with the games. So first thing I want to talk about isn't so much a game, but a game console. The Xbox Series S. I picked one up this week and uh I wasn't initially planning on doing it, but fuck it. So, well, I guess I kind of was. So let me give you the rundown. I'm sure many of you have seen over the past week or so that the Xbox Series S has been heavily discounted depending on where you buy it for Black Friday, for Cyber Monday, for the holiday season, whatever the case. Xbox announced that they were going to do that $250 holiday bundle. Well, I was able to find... Target had a deal, the the uh, store Target, I, I, you know, it's a red store with a little Target on it. Um, they had a deal where it was like, buy the Xbox Series X for $250 instead of $300, and you get a $50 gift card to the to the, uh, to the the store to Target while you're at it. And so I'm like, you know what? This is the same, the same logic I used to buy my Oculus Quest last year because they had a similar deal for the Oculus Quest. I'm going to buy this stupid fucking console for $250, but I'm going to justify it by telling myself it only costs $200 because I'm going to use the $50 gift card to buy groceries, which I would have had to do either way, and groceries would probably cost you like $50 to $70 anyway, so whatever. So I decided to uh, to just do it. You know, I've been I've been thinking about it for a while, for about, really, for about a year or so. I kind of want to get a Series S. I love how little they are. I kind of want to just put one tucked away in the corner of my desk. I think it'd be ideal for video capture footage and just make it easier with my setup. So fuck it. I pulled the trigger and I did it, and guess what? I don't regret it at all. I, uh, I'm here to say after two years of this thing being on the market and me still not having used one because I've only had the Series X, dude, the Xbox Series S, I know this sounds, you know, many of you probably already have one of these or have listened to other podcasts or YouTubers that that have talked about this ad nauseum, but dude, the Series S is a mighty little fuck little fucker it's a little it's a little beast of a machine dude this thing is awesome you know i've been i've been playing around with it i i I knew you know everyone's reaction is like oh i knew it was small but i didn't know it was this small like yeah dude this thing is super fucking low profile it is so nice to just tuck in a little fucking corner of my desk it takes up no space whatsoever which is nice because before i had my xbox one here and that thing was a fucking you know it was like parking a, a goddamn cruise ship at my desk it just took up so much space but um yeah, dude, this thing is, it's every bit as slick and fast and modern feeling as an Xbox Series X, but the games just look and perform just a little touch worse, you know? Halo Infinite boots up just as fast as it does on my Series X, you know, coming from an Xbox One as my secondary Xbox, you know, this thing is super quick, everything just boots up, games boot up, you got your quick resume, you got all those features I'm really familiar with on my on my Series X over in the living room, but now, you know, it's just this little, this little tiny little fucker of a package, and it just loads the games up like nothing, and I fucking love it. And uh, it was cool. I was testing out a couple of games with it just to kind of see the difference. So like, I've been playing a lot of Evil West, which we'll get into in a minute. So I downloaded that. Um, I'm playing Modern Warfare 2 on and off, so I downloaded that. Um, Halo Infinite, I'm not going to have an Xbox console that doesn't have Halo installed, so I downloaded Halo. And I also downloaded Sonic which recently just got an update for Series S that allows it to run at 60 FPS if you choose um, performance over graphics mode. So I decided to test all these four games out and just kind of see. It's like, yeah, Halo. Halo looks like it's running on an Xbox One, 
but plays but feels like it's playing on an Xbox Series X if that makes sense. Like the game is really really rock solid. You're still getting 60 FPS. You're still the, the the loading is super fast and snappy. The menus are moving around just the same, but like visually kind of looks a little more like an Xbox One game. And so I'm like I, I don't know, it's like, it's not like a deterring thing. Like to me it's like it's impressive. It's it's not something where I'm like, "Oh man, it kind of sucks that the games look so shitty." It's like Dude, for three hundred dollars, you know, as a, a, a well, I, I mean, I guess I got it for two fifty, but as a console that costs, you know, half as much as my Series X, like this thing is such a nice little piece of kit. Like it's so, I'm playing these games and I'm not being disappointed that you know, oh, it's not as nice as my Series X. I'm like, no, it's like I'm super impressed with how damn good it is compared to my Series X, which uh, you know, I, God, I'm, it, it kind of furthers the the notion I had as well as I think. Uh, a stance many people had, which is like, unless you're like a hardcore gamer who needs the best of the best, the highest fidelity and all that, like, I don't know, man, like 90% of consumers should just be picking up a Series S. This thing is so good for what it is, for what for what you get and what the price is. I mean, I, I guess there's the concession of you don't have a disc drive, which for me doesn't mean shit because I, I don't use discs anyway. But I know for some people, they like to have physical media. So I understand that's a setback. But other than that, man, like this thing is such a fucking killer deal. And, uh, you know, I played Modern Warfare 2. Dude, Modern Warfare 2, the, 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 first of all, shout out to the Call of Duty developers, all the teams, because they make these games run like crack no matter what the hardware they're working with is. You know, you think back to, like, Modern Warfare, like, the first Modern Warfare, like, Call of Duty 4. Ever since then, it's just, like, every Call of Duty game is just, like, a seamless 60 FPS. They look pretty damn good for the for their respective times. Insane. Like, Modern Warfare 2, I'm playing it on the Series S, I'm like... There's, like, no compromise here. You know, I, I'm not a super tech buff. I'm not, like, the, the most trained guy when it comes to, like, looking at, oh, man, oh, you can see the DPS, the DSL, the, the RF, RFS. Oh, man, it's, oh, it's, it's, a little, it's a little slower on the Series S. Oh, you can tell on the Series X the frame refraction sampling is, is 12% uh, more optimized. Like, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys. Like, I can tell big differences. Like, I can tell that Halo looks better on my Series X than my Series S. But when I played Modern Warfare 2, the game looks, plays, runs, everything the fucking same. To think that right now you could basically go to Target and for 250 bucks, pick up an Xbox Series S, get a $50 gift card and use that to buy Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, and then I guess like pay 20 bucks out of pocket, whatever. Dude, for like $300, not even, for less than $300, you can be coming home with like one of the latest game consoles on the market plus the latest call of duty game and have a killer fucking time it's insane the game is so it runs and works so beautifully i played sonic the 60 fps mode works very well the game definitely takes a texture and graphical hit on the series s compared to my series x you know it's all about how these developers optimize and work with the hardware they have you know you got everything from like halo which looks a little worse but it's all things considered pretty great to call of duty, which is feels like it has no compromises to like Sonic where it's like, Oh yeah, it definitely looks worse, but it plays great and super fast loading and all that. And, uh, I played evil West and evil West was much like Sonic where it was very much like, Oh yeah, graphically fidelity texture wise. It's muddier. It's blander. Fewer, um, high res objects in the, in the world. It's definitely like a less impressive visual game, but again, super fast loading, super decent performance. The console is just a little champion. Like, I fucking love this thing. So I'm really happy to have one of these things. I, I picked it up along with a uh, with a, a new Elgato graphics card, which I've that I've been, like, very seriously meaning to buy for, like, over a year because my other one broke, which is coincidentally why I haven't really been putting a lot of effort into YouTube lately. So 
trying to kick it into high gear. Got my new capture card. Got this little Series X all tied up to my computer so I can more easily capture footage to use for editing videos. So hopefully I'll be using all this as an opportunity to get some more content out on my YouTube page. But um, other than that, man, I'm just I'm just really excited about the Series S. Uh, I just think it's a really great little little console, and I, I love it. I love being able to sit down from my couch, you know, on a Saturday and have the proper full 4K 60 FPS gaming experience on my big TV with my Series X. But then, you know, if I'm just like doing some quick gaming or I'm streaming something on a Monday night and the fidelity doesn't matter all that much anyway because the stream compression looks like ass, you know, whatever the case may be, it's like I can use my little Series S and, and the thing's a fucking champ. It just it works great, runs great, plays games great, and it's really quite awesome. So really loving the Series S, really glad with this purchase. And, uh, you know, as just a Xbox enthusiast, as a fan of Microsoft shit, I just feel like this was a pretty worthy purchase. Um, all things considered, I guess I could have gotten healthcare, but whatever. We got a Series S instead. Hey, guys, that's not it for all I've been playing because that is hardware. That is not software. Let's talk about the games I've been playing. So we touched on it a little bit, but yeah, I'm playing Evil West and I'm loving this game. I'm just a little bit over halfway through the game. I am going to try to speed it up and finish it because I really want to get to Callisto Protocol this week, but I don't want to speed through it too much because I'm really enjoying this game. Kronky actually wrote in and said, and said the following. I've really enjoyed Evil West so far. I'm about halfway through, and it's funny how I didn't realize how hungry I was for more of like a 2000s-era game. It's like a modern PS2 game. I love it. Um, yeah, so Cronky, look, you're at like the same point in the game as I am, so that's only lending more... Uh it's only letting more credit to Way of the Lao's uh, thesis that you and I are the same person, so stop that. But no, I, I actually agree completely. This uh, Evil West, it definitely does feel... And I wouldn't say PS2. I Personally, I would say more like 360. Uh, it definitely feels like a game that probably released in like 2008, 2009. And, um, and, and I, I mean that in the best way possible. And I know a lot of critics have said stuff like that. And I, I think I said that yesterday or last week with my early impressions of the game. I, I do want to expand with that by saying this. I, another thing a lot of critics have said and I kind of agreed with initially last week was, yeah, the game feels something like um, a combination of God of War meets Doom. And I do see those parallels and I, and I do still stand by that, that, that kind of commentary. But now that I have put in like six hours into the game, you know, as far as I am in the game, I, I, I do want to say playing it beat for beat moment to moment. To me, this game feels more like Gears of War meets Doom. It's very much like Doom where it's like you're just running around like the arena as you're like whenever you're in a combat scenario, you're just like running around kind of doing the dance of like punch, punch, pull them in with your shock attack ability with your gauntlet and then pop them in the face with your shotgun and then spin around and do a little finishing move and then parry out of the way and get this guy. So it's a little bit more of like that dance kind of playing with all your toys thing that doom has where it's like, you're not just using one gun. You're not just using one means of attack. You're constantly mixing around different types of melee uh, combat styles with different types of special abilities with different weapons, with different kinds of finishing moves. And you're just kind of like chaining off these combos to do like a really stylish, gruesome kind of combat that scheme very much like doom but aside from that the game makes me feel like i'm playing something like a gears of war game a lot and that's the thing that i think i'm really connecting with the most when it comes to this game is you know i, I really like gears of war gears of war is a series that i kind of came late to in life um, I, I i mean i played gears of war when it was more of a contemporary title on the 360 but i didn't really enjoy and like gears of war all that much until around the time gears 4 came out up until that time i had really just been kind of forcing myself to play through the games, not really fully enjoying them. But something changed, something clicked around the time Gears 4 came out where I guess I was just old enough to finally 
appreciate what the series was in a way that I never had before. And so there, there's this thing with Gears of War where I kind of feel like I, I you know, I didn't miss it because I technically played it, but at the same time, I feel like I kind of missed out on the glory days of Gears of War because I really started enjoying it more and more towards its its more recent entries with four and five. And I know Gears 5 is only three years old at this point, but because of, you know, everything that happened between 2019 and now, it just feels like it's been like a decade plus since we've had a Gears of War game. And I know the Coalition is no doubt going to make another Gears of War game. Gears 5 ends on a massive cliffhanger, and I, and I know we'll get there. There's just something about it that feels like, kind of feels like Gears of War. It feels like that that third-person action game that I've been waiting for. And it's weird because it's not quite like Gears of War. You know, it's not cover-based combat at all like Gears of War is. And it's not fully solely focused on guns like Gears of War is. It's a pretty even combination of guns and melee combat. And it's not, it doesn't have like an active reload or anything like that like Gears of War. It's none of those things, but yet it still feels like Gears of War. Maybe it's because it's, you know, that double tap A to kind of dodge roll out of situations instead of jumping. And it's like kind of a slower, clunkier movement, kind of like Gears of War. And it's, uh, you know, there's something about the character models in this game where they just look a little off, but like not in a bad way. It's just, you know, in Gears of War, everyone kind of looks like a, a smushed, widened out, like a little sausage figure human being. Everyone just kind of looks a little fucked up. This game has that just a little bit, too, where the character models just look a little fucking like, why are your fingers so goddamn wide? What is wrong with you? It's like you got run over by a bulldozer in a cartoon and it flattened you out like a pancake or some shit like that. And just, you know, things just look bulky and wide and weird. And uh, it's all of that paired with the fact that it's a very linear, like point A to point B kind of third person action, violent, mature rated game. Uh, with a very linear story and a very kind of campy, or with a very linear gameplay method and a very, like, kind of goofy B-tier story. All of that combined together really does give me Gears of War vibes, especially, like, older Gears of War vibes. And um, I, I mean all of that in the most complimentary way to both Gears of War and Evil West. And this game is just really scratching that itch for me. So I'm, I'm enjoying the influence from, Gear, from Gears of War. I'm enjoying the influence from Doom. I see the influence people say about it being kind of like God of War, that less so, but still, I, I do see it a little bit. But overall, dude, I'm just I'm just enjoying the hell out of this game. I love that the game hasn't tried to sell me a season pass or cosmetics. I love that the game hasn't tried to tell me about what's on the roadmap for, for its season two. I love that the game doesn't have an online mode. I love that the game doesn't try to have deep RPG mechanics or an open world. I love how the game is basically just like, here's the next level, shoot shit, yeah, there's some collectibles. There's a very basic skill tree so you can unlock new abilities. This isn't a skill tree that's like, increase your attack damage 10%. No, it's like, make your zappy thing do this trick now. So if you press Y and right bumper at the same time, you can do this attack ability. You know, it's gaining new skills and ways of destroying the fuck out of enemies. And I just, I love it. It's simplistic. It's fun. The gameplay loop is there. It's polished. It's really good. I don't, I don't understand some of the criticism I've seen saying that it feels like it's not fully polished in its combat. I feel like the I feel like the gameplay, the moment to moment gameplay is really polished actually. I feel like the like the actual like kinetic the feeling of like connecting a punch with an enemy or like shooting an enemy feels very satisfying. The feedback from that I think is is quite is quite like it's it's there. It's crunchy. You, you could just feel it's tactile. It just feels like really finely tuned combat. So I really don't understand that criticism. I've seen a little bit of the game. Uh, if there's any real criticism I have with the game, it's that you know I, I was excited about this like kind of alt history, this alt U.S. history kind of thing with vampires. Um, but the story so far, I found it to be a little bit on the side of like. 
yeah, cool. It's cool for like three missions. Now I kind of don't give a shit about the characters or the story. I just want to, I just want to beat shit up. So I'm a little bit checked out of the story, which I'm disappointed because I was looking forward to that. Um, but nonetheless, the gameplay itself is so fun. It's one of those games where like when I sit down to play it, I could play three, four five levels in a row. No problem. It's just, I've been a little busy and trying to do a couple things this weekend. So I haven't had quite enough time to just sit down and you know, just run right through the whole fucking thing, which I am tempted to do. And, uh, it's, 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 it's that, it is that fun. I'm playing it on normal mode. I feel like the challenge is just right. I can see how this game is probably gruelingly hard on, on the harder, on the harder difficulties. I have no interest in ever doing that. I feel like the normal mode is one of those very, very balanced normal modes. It's not too easy, like a lot of normal modes, but it's also not like punishingly bullshit stupid where I had to knock it down to like beginner mode. I feel like it's, it's, it is a truly f like perfectly tuned game as far as difficulty is concerned. Um, and I just, I love it. Like it, it, the, the gameplay definitely forces you as you progress. It definitely forces you to start to learn all the ways you can chain together your different attack abilities and, and things like that in order to overcome enemies. Because it is one of those things where like earlier in the game, if you want to just rely on like standing back and doing ranged attacks with your guns, you can get away with that. But by level four and five, they're going to start throwing enemy varieties at you where it's like, if you think you're going to get away with just shooting and not punching, you got another thing coming. And you get to start really learning how to take all the different abilities, marry them together, and uh, create an awesome uh, gameplay style. And I just think it's it's just super gratifying to be able to just constantly seamlessly transition between punching, using special abilities, shooting, all this crazy stuff you can do. And it's Super fun game. I'm just really enjoying Evil West. So that is the the main game I've been playing this week. Other than that, I did jump into Modern Warfare 2 a little bit so I could try out Warzone 2.0 as well as DMZ, the new mode DMZ for Warzone. I don't have too, too much to say on Call of Duty, um, so we will run through this quick. I'm still enjoying Modern Warfare 2 from a generic multiplayer perspective, but as far as Warzone 2 is concerned, you, you may know if you've listened to the show in the past, I did not like Warzone. I've never been a Warzone fan. I, I just don't think it's a good Battle Royale game. It's just not for me personally. The only time Battle Royale has ever really truly captured me was kind of the old early days of Apex Legends, and retroactively I discovered I kind of liked Black Ops 4's Blackout mode from, from 2018 that I thought was actually a much better Call of Duty Battle Royale than Warzone as unpopular as a, of an opinion as that might be. Um, however, I, I gotta say, Warzone 2.0, I don't think, I don't see myself getting sucked into this or addicted to this game, but I do genuinely think, from my very limited experience, that this so far seems like a much more Jesse-appropriate Battle Royale game than the first one. I don't know what it is about it. I just feel like, you know, with Warzone 1, I feel like I had a lot of issues with, like, just graphical artistic style where it's like I can't fucking see enemies on the other side of the map everything looks too gray too deserty too realistic I just get sniped out of nowhere I feel like I can kind of get a little bit better sense of where I am and where everything is in the map and I feel like I understand the convoluted nature of of Call of Duty's Battle Royale just a little bit better in this game and I don't know maybe it's just because I like Modern Warfare 2 a lot but I I had you know I've only played like three matches but I've had a lot more fun playing Warzone 2.0 than I ever had playing Warzone 1. The thing is, it's just like, dude, I'm done with Battle Royale. There's just, there's too much shit calling me and I, I don't want to get soaked into another battle, you know, sucked into another Battle Royale game. And uh, so I'm going to try not to play too much of this, but I definitely have found myself having more fun with it than I definitely thought I would. I had to give it a try just to say I tried it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't immediately delete Warzone from my hard drive, which surprised me because I had, I had a good time. 
Uh, the, the flip side of that, or not the flip side, but the other part of that Warzone experience is the DMZ mode, this new DMZ Escape from Tarkov inspired mode. And uh, I only played this for maybe like an hour with with a couple of my brothers, and uh, I really enjoyed this game mode as well. Um, I don't fully understand it yet. I understand that there is like some kind of system in place with like you, you get loot if you properly extract from the game uh, successfully, then you can take all the loot and use that to create certain custom classes so that the next time you play, you can load in with better gear, which I think is really cool, but I don't fully understand how to like master all that just yet. But the game mode's kind of simple. You launch in a squad of three. There are bots on the map. It's, it's the Battle Royale map. And there are bots on the map, and there are also other players. And your objective is basically, like, to, everyone has these little in-game missions you have to do. And so you want to spend the early minutes of the game looting, grabbing good gear, and uh, completing these little objectives, which can be everything from, like, go to this radio tower to take out this thing, collect this thing. And so you just got to do all your little missions and objectives, and then you want to get all this good loot and try to go to the other side of the map and exfil, like, extract from the map. But the other thing is, the hard thing is, the longer the game goes on, the more the other teams come in contact with one another, and then it becomes something of like a squad-based battle royale, where it's like, kill the other team, take their good loot, and exfil before they do. And so it's really intense, but it's a little more laid back at the same time, compared to like traditional battle royale, because you're given those objectives and things to play, and those bots to fight as well, which makes it a little more approachable, I feel like, than just like, everyone here is every man for himself and it's kill or be killed and good luck, you know? So I, I found this mode a little, it's like if you want to play battle royale, but you want to, you want to sweat slightly less. And that's what I kind of liked about this. Although the, the loot system, the gear system had me a little bit nervous. So maybe that's not totally the case, but I, I can see myself playing more of this mode. I'm just, again, it's like, I like it. I appreciate it. I think it's cool. One thing I really love about modern warfare too. I really respect that is just how much content they try to shove into this game. It's got a really good campaign, really good multiplayer, pretty solid battle royale with an alternate battle royale mode it's got spec ops which has kind of been redone and that was pretty good as well it's, it's just got a lot of content in it uh, i feel like really for 70 dollars you're getting a really full great package with, with modern warfare 2 although of course warzone's a free to download separate thing but nonetheless I, i've been having a decent time with that i do plan on playing more of it but just for now it's like okay that's 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 enough of that <laughs> just because i want to get to evil west i want to get to callisto protocol i want to do a bunch of other things that aren't call of duty so Trying to trying to stay away from Call of Duty in that regard. All right, and there's two other games I've been playing. One of these uh, more a lot more than the other, but real quick, we'll just kind of uh, just talk about these real fast. So, Vampire Survivors is the first one. I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen this kind of making the rounds. This game's been on PC for a little while. It's been on Steam, but it just came to Game Pass a couple weeks ago. I want to say. But um, yeah, I finally downloaded this game. I've heard really good things about it, and I don't know. I just got the itch to give it a go. But dude, Vampire Survivors is so fun it is so addicting um it's funny because I, I i downloaded it and i was like you know i just know this is gonna be fun i i, I can tell it's gonna be stupid and goofy i, I love the game because it, it just looks like this fucking 8-bit no name bullshit shovelware game and uh basically what it is is like you select one of your four characters and you get you just get dropped into this little fucking grassy field of a of a NES looking game and your character just automatically attacks you know depending on the character you pick depends on what attack they get and your objective is just to walk around the map and kill the enemies collect the little crystals they drop and survive as long as you can and the the thing is like obviously you only have so much health so you don't want to get attacked because if you die that's it it's game over it's like wave based slash time based and uh but at the same time you need to kill enemies so you can collect their gems to level up because every time you level up you get a new ability you get 
a bigger attack, stronger attack, additional types of uh, attacks and defenses. And so you got to keep playing this loop of like defeating enemies, not getting touched, not getting hit, collecting gems, leveling up, trying to survive as long as you can. It's kind of like a glorified score chaser slash horde based, wave based mode. Um, and it's it's just stupid fun. The game looks rudimentary as hell. It's simplistic as hell in its nature. It's not anything to write home about visually speaking. But you pick it up, and it's one of those things where within five minutes, you're like, oh, I, I get everything that's fun about this game. I totally see the appeal, and you are instantly hooked. Every time you beat a, you finish a, a match, you get a couple of achievements here or there. You get some some score, and you, and you go back, and you try to beat your last record. It's just like Call of Duty Zombies. It's like, I made it to, to wave 12. I'm going to try again. I bet I can make it to wave 15 this time. And it's just very, very, very satisfying and addictive loop. And it's not a very impressive game by any stretch of the imagination. But this this game is such a perfect example of how really at the end of the day, it's just can you make that core gameplay loop fun and addicting? That's all that matters. Story, graphics, performance, cool characters, whatever the fuck it is, first person versus third person, whatever, all these things, they mean nothing compared to is the game just fun to play? And this is one of those games where you pick it up and within two minutes, it's just, it's just, you're just like a stupid fucking baby drooling on yourself going again and again and again. And just realizing you're, you're just walking around in this empty little NES looking world. And it's, it's, it's so much fun. My girlfriend saw me downloading. I was like, you're going to love this game. She's like, no, that game looks dumb or whatever. She's like, I I don't, I don't care about that game. I don't, I don't like the way it looks. I was like, trust me, you're going to play this game. And so I, I played it one round in front of her. She was incredibly unenthused. And I was like, now it's your turn to play. I just made her play one time. She's like, oh, this is fun. And now I, I catch her. Like, I'll walk in the room. And she's playing it on her own. And I'm like, damn right. You like Vampire Survivors, I told you. And it's uh, it's fun. It's 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 fun to just see this be one of those little, like, those, like, flash-in-the-pan kind of cultural phenomenons where, like, I go on Twitter and everyone's just talking about Vampire Survivors. Everyone's kind of getting addicted to it the same way. We saw that tweet uh, earlier in the week where – Apparently, like, Phil Spencer's put, like, almost 200 hours into the game. I'm like, there's no fucking way that's true. Guy must have, like, played the game, put it on pause, and then left his Xbox running for, like, a week or something. There's no way he's played 200 hours of this game. But nonetheless, it's just cool to see everyone getting kind of swept up by this game. So simple, so fun, you know. In the middle of this season where we're getting games like Callisto Protocol, Marvel Midnight Sun, Call of Duty, Sonic, all these bigger games, God of War, Ragnarok, all these big titles... You know, people are just getting pulled and swept left and right because Vampire Survivors is so fun. So I've been playing a lot of that, really enjoying that game as well. And then the last one is uh, Slipstream, which is a... So Slipstream is like this... Uh, it's like an 80s kind of like arcade racer game. It's got like a lot of 80s, 90s arcade racer kind of feelings. It looks basically like like a Sega racer, like OutRun. It's an ode to games like that. You know, JDM cars, crazy, awesome-looking environments like like Miami, LA at night, kind of neon city kind of stuff. And it's it's basically simplistic, like outrun style of racing, uh, that two 2D, 3D kind of racing game, uh, where it's all just about drifting and effective racing. I am so enamored with the way this game looks and sounds. I've, I've had it saved in my uh, wish list on Xbox for a while, and it was on sale this week for like six bucks or something. So I, I went ahead and downloaded it. Only played it for about 30 minutes, but I, I got to say, I absolutely suck at this game. I, I knocked down like all the difficulty to easy as fuck, but I just cannot win against these uh, NPCs. So I really need to play a lot of this game and try to learn how to get good at it. But um, I'm really just, it's, it's a game where I'm like so enamored by how pretty it looks and how good it sounds, but I absolutely hate it so far because it's just kicking my ass and I can't 
figure out how to get good at it. And frankly, it's just not a good time for me because uh, I'm kind of busy with some other games. So I will get back to this game, but I do want to just kind of give it a shout out just because it's just aesthetically and audibly such a such a beautiful game. And I really have just so much appreciation for this game in that regard. But um, yeah, I mean, that's I, I just don't have much to say on it because I really haven't had too much of a chance to dive into it. But that Slipstream, that game's been out for a little while. It was on Steam for a while and Switch, and it recently came to Xbox and PlayStation. Well, not too recently. I think it's been like at least a year or something. But uh, yeah, it's an indie game uh, by a team called uh, Anstor. I think I'm saying that right. It's the only game they put out. So it's a relatively new team. And uh, I really, really do enjoy this game. I just uh, just got to figure out how to like not suck at it so I can enjoy it further. But that's uh, that's Slipstream. That's the last game I've been playing this week. But that's that's it. That's everything for what I've been playing this week, you guys. I guess uh, with that said, we should probably jump into the news because we've got some interesting stories here. Todd Howard saying some shit. No, Todd Howard's got some interesting quotes I want to I wanna jump into and talk about with you guys. So let's, uh, let's take a breather. Maybe chug a Mountain Dew. Uh, stretch your arms, go pet your kitty, and then we'll, we'll rejoin and talk about the latest happenings in the world of Xbox. All right, guys, let's jump into the actual main news. So let me just, some formatting tips. Well, not formatting tips, some formatting information for you to understand how we're going to attack this. So the first one is uh, we're going to tackle the Activision stuff first just because there's a couple updates uh, that are pretty important. And so we're going to break it into a part one, part two, part three, and kind of move through that as one story with three parts. And then the second story is the Todd Howard information, and that we will also break into a two-part story because he has two two different things he talked about. So just know that it's kind of like our first two stories are like three or four or five big stories, just all whatever, just kind of condensed down into one more digestible discussion. So just be aware that that's kind of how we're going to try to format this thing. So... Starting off with the Activision, Microsoft, Sony stuff. Let's get into part one of that. So from VGC, Microsoft is reportedly expected to offer concessions to European Union regulators soon in a bid to help push through its proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. That's according to a router source who said that Microsoft sweeteners would consist of mainly a 10-year licensed deal with PlayStation maker Sony. The future of the Call of Duty series as as a multi-platform product is one of the key areas of being examined by the antitrust regulators scrutinizing the Microsoft deal. So that's, that's part one there. So basically, we heard a little bit about this last week where Microsoft was basically saying, Hey, we are um, we're, we're basically pr- willing to offer you ten years of Call of Duty on Xbox, uh, or sorry, ten years of Call of Duty on PlayStation minimum. Like we're going to promise that, and then from there, you know, indefinitely, you know, it's assumed that we'd probably keep going with Call of Duty on PlayStation, but we will we'll just straight up promise you and sign into it, sign into some kind of agreement like that. That straight up front. That's how serious we are about this. We just want to get this deal moving along and get this uh, scrutiny kind of behind us. And so that was what we learned about a little bit last week. Uh, but now we're starting to see more reports that from reliable sources that that's like a thing that's actively happening and actively being discussed and, and worked through. So our part two, this was then Windows Central relayed it. And then its original source was a, a site I'm unfamiliar with called Seeking Alpha, which seems to be more like a financial site, a little bit more of a technical kind of side of analyzing the, these kinds of more business deals. And uh, they, they had some reporting on the deal that kind of suggests that things are already underway, where they wrote the following, quote, The FTC is then expected to make a decision in January, according to a deal reporter item, which cited source was sorry, which cited sources familiar. Microsoft is said to be working on 
to give assurance to Sony that they will allow Activision games to be played on PlayStation consoles and held uh, meetings to discuss these terms with Sony over the past weekend. This update comes after a political report from last week that the FTC is likely to file an antitrust lawsuit to block the Activision deal. On Monday, Reuters, I know it's Reuters, but I always call it routers. <laughs> Reuters reported that Microsoft is likely to soon offer a European Union concession in order to dismiss objections to its Activision deal. Microsoft plans a 10-year license deal, as we just talked about for Call of Duty. So now the report that's coming from Seeking Alpha a few days later this week um, says that Microsoft is not only talking to Sony about that, but they have already held meetings, discussed it, and that you know possibly things are moving in that direction where Sony is already in deep conversation with Microsoft and things are moving to uh, kind of make that shit happen so we can kind of move along this this process so they can go to the CMA over in Europe and say, hey, look, we, we made an agreement with Sony. We played nice with them. We gave them what, what they wanted. We had this deal. It's, it's signed for. It's agreed upon. You know, does that change things? And then hopefully we can move the ball further and faster. And so that's kind of where we are with that. And then part three, we go back to VGC for part three, continues on. And this is where, this is, I think, the most interesting part, just in the sense that we've had so much of this back and forth between Microsoft and Sony. We haven't had Activision say anything in all this. So now Activision jumps into the ring for part three, as as VGC reports, uh, the CCO of Activision Blizzard has said that the company will not hesitate to fight to make sure that Microsoft successfully acquires the company. Uh, Executive VP of, Cor- uh, of Corporate Affair and CCO Lulu Cheng uh, t- took to Twitter this past week to address speculation regarding the ongoing antitrust investigations currently being carried out by various global regulators. Quote, she said, seeing a lot of speculation about Microsoft's active acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Any suggestion that this transaction could have antis- a- sorry could have anti-competitive effects is absurd. This merger will benefit gamers in the U.S. gaming industry, especially as we face shifting competition from abroad. We are committed to continuing to work cooperatively with regulators around the globe to allow the transaction to proceed, but will not hesitate to fight to defend the transaction if it is needed. Lulu Chang Mezervi's comments came a couple of hours after the publication of a political report, which we just referenced, which claims that the U.S. FTC, Federal Trade Commission, is likely to file an antitrust lawsuit to block Microsoft's proposed takeover of Activision Blizzard. An antitrust lawsuit would mean that Microsoft would have to fight to push forward to acquire the Call of Duty maker in U.S. courts. Citing three sources, the report claimed that a while that while a lawsuit challenging uh, the deal isn't certain, FTC chair Lena Khan is looking to, quote, reign in the power of the world's largest tech companies. So... I feel like I kind of did a poor job going over this last week on the podcast, to be quite honest with you. And uh, I, I think it's it's worth reiterating that this is uh, this is the first time where I think this deal is actually kind of in some serious trouble. Not to say that I think without a doubt this deal is going to get shot down and not happen, but to say this deal truly is in, in a situation where it's like, there's a decent enough chance that this doesn't happen, that Microsoft does not get Activision Blizzard now. Uh, because I think if you have the CMA and the FTC scrutinizing, especially with the FTC, you know, here in, in, in the U.S., uh, the country where both where both uh, Microsoft and Activision are from, if you have the U.S. scrutinizing this and not approving this deal and, and not willing to go through with it, there's there's just no chance. You know, it's not going to happen. I, I don't think you can really have this deal happen without the approval of all these markets, these, these core markets like Europe and the U.S. or North America. 
America. And um, yeah, I just this, this this changes things a bunch now. So he, here's what makes it interesting is I think at this point, Microsoft, I, I don't think they were expecting to see this much of a fight get put up. And I think at this point, they are just so desperate to lower the stakes and to get things back into a point where it's like, guys, come on. It's just a tech company buying another tech company. Look the other way. Let this happen. That that they are willing to make some serious concessions that they otherwise wouldn't have made. And so I think they're going to try to move fast and steady and swiftly with, with PlayStation to try and just get this shit going. Be like, here, here's all the shit you want. Please, for the love of God, shut the fuck up, Sony. I think that's really where Microsoft is at at this point. It's like, we will do whatever you want if you just shut the fuck up stop flying over to Europe and bitching and moaning about how it's inadequate for us to give you Call of Duty for X amount of years versus this and that. Just shut up. Stop Stop with the comparisons of Nintendo. Stop with the bragging about the the, the money we have and all these things. Like Just, just fucking shut up. Here's Call of Duty. Be quiet. <laughs> and, it, and I think a lot of us as, as, you know, observers on the sidelines here are kind of feeling similarly, not because we're like, pro xbox go xbox go buy the big company but because it's like dude fucking make this deal stop we're all tired of talking about we're all tired of looking at it and to see that the ftc now get involved i think makes it go from like oh man this thing's gonna get contested a lot but eventually it's gonna pass it's just it's just gonna take a lot of back and forth to now it's like yeah man i don't i don't know there's a there's a decent chance this deal just straight up doesn't happen and so i i think we're kind of in a gray spot with this now if these talks between microsoft and sony with the 10-year agreement for call of duty and all that go really smoothly and sony shuts the fuck up I, I think we can speed things along with the CMA and that's all good. But then there's this, there's still this coin toss with like, is the FTC, like, are we going to run into this situation where like the CMA is kind of finally at bay and they're, and they're like, no, okay, okay, we're cool here. But then all of a sudden the FTC is now like, no, 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 but we're not satisfied. And so is that what we're about to face? And I feel like we got to kind of hold our breath and get through the next two months to kind of figure out how this is going to play out. And so it's going to be about six to eight weeks of this. And I really think this news is going to fuck off for a little while, just because no doubt as we get closer to the holidays, all these organizations are going to disband for the holiday season. And we're going to see all this kind of fuck off for a while. But, um, you know, come first thing next year, I think this conversation is going to pick right back up and then we'll be in the hot, you know, the, 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 this like a high time season where it's all, all the shit is coming one after another, after another CMA is making final decision. The FTC is making a final decision. Where are we? And, um, you know, it's, I, I think we're at this kind of home stretch where right now everything is the most gray it's ever been. The likelihood of this happening is, is the least likely that's ever been. And we're also only about two months from having kind of definitive answers as to how this whole thing is going to work out. So it's kind of crazy to think that this uh, this story has been this ongoing as it is, and, and I'm really quite tired of talking about it. But it, it's just grow, gone on to gone on to to become so much bigger of a of a proceeding that I don't think anyone was anticipating. And honestly, it's kind of funny because if you go back a couple of months, we were we're all kind of laughing like Sony is just buy you know, they're just they're just trying to buy some time and bitch and moan and get some concessions here and there. But I think we're at a point where it's like I think Sony Sony's complaining and in and, and just constant drawing attention to this situation is actually really working for them. I think it's starting to get the people at these regulatory boards who want to have a very like anti big corporate kind of approach to these things. It's kind of giving them a reason, giving them that fodder to further scrutinize the deal. And now, now the deal is actually in some serious trouble for once. Um, and I just, man, I just, I, I feel less certain of this deal than ever before. I, I just gotta be a hundred percent. I still, I, I think at this point, like if you had to gut check me, I'd say 60%, it does maybe 65%. It happens 
you know? 65% it happens, 35% it doesn't. But that's, you know, those are pretty decent odds for it not happening, I, I feel like, at this point. So, I, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully we don't have to hear about this too much longer. Hopefully, we, we hear in the next couple in the next couple of weeks that, like, Sony's happy, they're satisfied, and now we're kind of fast-tracking things. But I, I don't know. I, I wonder if maybe, you know, Sony gets what they want with all these promises and agreements from Microsoft regarding Call of Duty, but the damage has been done, and now all these regulatory bodies are really really concerned about it and they kind of got their eyes on microsoft so now it's like a double fuck you for microsoft where sony got everything they wanted out of them and on top of that all these regulatory boards are now really like laser focused in on microsoft and all that and then the part where activision's cco is it's talking about how we're willing to fight for this deal it's like that shit's a little cringe it's a little like pr corporate because i mean dude she's she's literally just like this is the, where's the quote she goes um we're committed to continue to work with crop uh no 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 we're, this merger will benefit gamers in the u.s gaming industry especially as we face stiffer competition from abroad i mean that is kind of true just because i feel like less opportunity for tencent to buy up everything but at the same time it's kind of slimy they're just like benefiting it's like please 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 let this deal go through because at this point everyone's kind of like officially like super invested in this like if this if this deal doesn't go through microsoft's kind of in trouble they've spent all this money and all this time invested in this thing that fell through and Activision this is going to be a bad look for them and probably poorly reflect on their stock if Microsoft's no longer in bed so you know at Activision they have a lot of incentive to care about this deal and to be committed to making sure it does happen because they want to protect their stock price and Microsoft doesn't want to have wasted all this time and money for nothing and so it, it you know it just becomes a bigger concern for both of those companies so those quotes are a little gross but obviously you know now we got Activision speaking out like, yes, we want our, our, our uh, sugar daddy, Microsoft, to be able to successfully acquire us. Please, for the love of God, protect the stock price. And so I, I don't know, man. That That's our latest and greatest update. I, I continue to think that the story is getting bigger and bigger and more serious, while at the same time I feel myself just withdrawing more and more from really caring about it. But it, it is serious. I think there's a, a pretty solid chance of, of this deal now you know no longer happening which is something i didn't really think i would say a couple of months ago especially when the deal was first announced you know the pro the proposed deal was first announced i thought there was not going to be any chance that microsoft was going to have a hard time getting through I, th I felt like they really had all their you know all their their ducks in a row and all their lobbying and all their experience from other acquisitions throughout history you know all that shit ready to go in and in their favor to where this is going to be a process where they were ready for any kind of hurdle and pre-prepared for basically anything that would come their way. But here we are. I think that this is going to go down as the most challenging acquisition Microsoft has ever faced, no doubt. And um, just goes to show how insanely important gaming has become despite the ongoing stigma, right? Of it just being like this thing for like lazy people and children and blah, 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 and nerds. But man, I mean, this is... It's a serious business stuff. All right, let's move on to Todd Howard because I, I want to stop talking about Activision for the love of Christ. Let's talk about the other major publisher that Microsoft did successfully acquire recently, and that's Bethesda. So this is great. It's, I feel like we never hear from Bethesda, and it's it's kind of crazy that they're they're part of the Xbox family, but like just we don't hear a whole lot about any of it really. But um, in an interview with Lex Friedman on the Lex Friedman podcast, rather this past week. Todd Howard, the head of Bethesda, um, executive producer of Bethesda Game Studios, was on was on the podcast, and they're talking about Starfield. Um, so during the interview, uh, at one point they were talking about for initially Todd Todd's feelings about you know what it's like to be a part of Team Xbox now and how that kind of changes his feelings about 
his work and in the kind of pressures and in, in ways that changes his perspective on what he does and his contributions and all that. And so the conversation got brought up where he mentioned him feeling the pressure to deliver, you know, for a, a system selling title now that, you know, their games are, are so inextricably tied to a console brand, um, which is a new responsibility that they feel. And he said during the podcast, quote, We've had a lot of success with the games that you talk about and that we've never been kind of a platform seller, you know, for that game, for that platform for a period of time. And so there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of responsibility there to make sure that we deliver for everybody. Uh, Howard told Friedman, Lex Friedman, that the decision to delay the game uh, earlier in the year is a tough one. But, quote, it was the right thing to do and that Bethesda is working on, quote, with, quote, the top engineers at Xbox to make gaming sing on consoles, to make their games sing on consoles, particularly Starfield, as they're referring to here. Microsoft's acquisition of Bethesda was controversial because it means that a lot of studios' future games will not be releasing on PlayStation consoles anymore. However, Todd Howard said that the studios already had a history of releasing Xbox-exclusive content dating all the way back to Morrowind, uh, Elder Scrolls Three, back in 2002 on the OG Xbox. Quote, he said, keep in mind that for us, exclusivity is not unique, even though we're, we're done with PlayStation stuff. I think that the PS5 is just an insane machine. They've done a great job, and we've had great success on PlayStation. We've been traditionally a PC developer in the beginning, and we transitioned over to Xbox, and with it became our lead platform. Like, Morrowind's basically exclusive to Xbox. Oblivion was an exclusive to Xbox for a long time. Skyrim DLC was exclusive to Xbox. So we've done a lot, like our initial stuff, all with Xbox. So when you get into the development and say well, we're focused on Xbox, it's not abnormal for us in that way. It's been kind of the norm for us. And if, in the form of development side, from a development side, I like the ability to focus and have help from them. You know, the top engineers at Xbox, they say that we are going to make this game look incredible on systems from a standpoint, and it's just awesome. So that's part one of Todd Howard. The second part we'll get into in a minute, but let's stop there and talk about his, uh, you know, talk about being on Team Xbox and Starfield and making Xbox games but not PlayStation games. Obviously, some of this is lip service because now he represents Xbox and he has to talk about that in a favorable way, right? So there is the whole like, wow, you guys just don't make games for PlayStation gamers anymore. That's crazy. So to an extent, you know, it is like, well, when you think about it, our games used to be Xbox exclusive and not be on PlayStation. Our games used to be associated with Xbox. And these things are all true. Definitely Bethesda is is a is a team that has a history with Xbox, at least when it comes to console gaming, no doubt. And, uh, you know, Skyrim famously didn't work great on PS3. It really wasn't until the PS4 days where Bethesda games and PlayStation even made any real sense. So... Yeah, while that's all true, it doesn't stop from the fact that millions of people played Bethesda games on PlayStation and it's still shitty that they won't get them going forward. So I do understand that this is, in a lot of ways, just kind of marketing lip service. But at the same time, there is real truth to this where I feel like going off the Activision conversation immediately launching into this kind of highlights it more than ever before. And I know I've made this point before, but I just want to kind of drive it home a little further that... This was the kind of decision making that Xbox was 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 a part of that I was a real fan of, which was this um, which was this move to like acquire studios that have history with Xbox that make sense with the Xbox brand. And I actually still defend and believe that Bethesda is kind of a perfect choice because Bethesda is a very PC centric um, company, and when they aren't PC centric, they've always been Xbox first. And Xbox is obviously a it has its heritage uh, rooted in PC because they're fucking Microsoft. They're the Windows people. 
And Microsoft has had a lot of gaming initiatives throughout history on PC, and they've worked with Bethesda and other developers of the sort. And, and so there's a lot of history. There's a lot of crossover there. And when it comes to Bethesda doing stuff on console, yeah, traditionally it's been with OG Xbox or Xbox 360 or the games just played better on Xbox or Xbox got exclusive DLC and all these various things. So there is a, a relationship there that I think makes sense and it feels somewhat natural. It's kind of like when like Sony goes out and buys a team that they've worked with for many years and they've made many games with. When they buy an Insomniac, when they buy a Sucker Punch, when they buy a Naughty Dog, it's only after having established a successful relationship. So yeah, even though Bethesda games, especially in the past 10 years or so, have also come to PlayStation and had equal support and have also come to like Switch and stuff like that. There's no denying that like at the end of the day, you can make the argument that Bethesda kind of belongs, you know, if, if one of the big companies is going to acquire them, that Bethesda makes sense with Xbox. And I think every, everyone can kind of understand that, wrap their brain around that, feel kind of comfortable with that one. Whereas, you know, you look at the Activision shit and it's like, that's just that's just flat out fucking crazy still to this day. It's like, I can, no one should have Activision. Activision is Activision. So, you know, that's that's like the first thing I want to point out there is, yeah, it is kind of lip service but at the same time, it is... It, it, it still does kind of have like a, yeah, I see where he's coming from, uh, kind of appeal to it as well. Um, but aside from that, I, I do, I, I think the the bigger nugget of information here or, or kind of juicy quote is, is what he says about, you know, what it's like to be a part of Xbox and looking at your game like Starfield. And no longer is it just like this big game you're working on as a game studio, but it's now like seen as the game that like this platform hinges on. And it's kind of crazy. I, I, I guess we don't think about that, right? We think about how much Starfield means to Xbox. We think about how much Halo Infinite meant to Xbox, but we don't think about what it's like for Bethesda to now be like, yo, Bethesda, um, that Starfield game you're working on, yeah, that's going to like make or break the success of the Xbox Series consoles going forward. So you better not fuck it up. And that is that is crazy. That is a new level of pressure and expectation that you already, you know, that you didn't already have on your on your game that already did have a lot of pressure and expectation because you're Bethesda. There is a precedent. There is uh, an expectation for what you should be delivering and, and what fans expect from that. So now there's this new avenue, this new stream of expectation and pressure being thrust onto you. So I do understand. I do think that is actually quite interesting and it's got to be daunting, man. You know, we talk about these game developers like game developers are just constantly screwing us over, misadvertising games, over-promising, under-delivering, games as a service, blah, 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 all this shit. But like th this is crazy stuff. That is that is a crazy amount of pressure to be working with, and I, I especially take to that little nugget where they're talking about working with like engineers at Xbox specifically to make sure that this game is being tailor made to take advantage of Xbox hardware to the fullest, and to make sure that you know it really does it really does like integrate and work with Xbox in such a way that I, I guess I guess the way I'm interpreting this is that it feels first party, you know? Like, you play Halo, and Halo feels like a game that is just so perfectly made for the Xbox. You can just tell it's like they could really extra polish it and extra develop it because they only had to worry about this one platform, right? It's kind of like how first party games always feel versus third party games. You play you play a game like you play a game like Sonic Frontiers, which I just recently put a shit ton of hours into, and you can feel you can feel that they had a Wii, uh, sorry, a Wii. They had a Switch skew. They had a PlayStation Four skew. They had an Xbox One skew. They had an Xbox Series skew. They had a PS Five skew. They had a PC skew. They're developing for like so many games, basically for so many platforms, and and you can always feel that where. It's like a game that only had to target just Sony's hardware, just Nintendo's hardware, just Xbox's hardware. Always has an extra level of polish and kind of pristine and just feels like it's really intricately integral 
completely baked into like the uh, the embodiment of that of that console that it represents. You know, it's like it's like an app on your iPhone made by Apple versus like like the fucking like the fucking old Navy app on iPhone. It's like one of them is like, man, this is like exemplifying what the iPhone is. And one of them is like, wow, this thing crashes every time I try to look at a jean jacket. Fuck me. You know, it's like the, the night and day difference between apps and what their intended audience is. And so I definitely see that and feel that. And, and that's one of the big pressures. I feel like games like Starfield are under uh, and, and games like Psychonauts would have been under had they had they been acquired, had a uh, double fine been acquired maybe a little earlier in that game's development where it's like, okay, Starfield was coming whether they were owned by Xbox or not, Bethesda that is. Um, but now that they are part of Xbox, how are we going to make sure this game feels first party? And I feel like that's another layer of this development and making sure the game got the proper development it needed and this big delay it had and all these things. It's we got to make sure that, you know, this game feels like a first party, fully developed, hyper polished Xbox game. And that's coming from a team that is famous for not being hyper polished and for having a lot of jank and charm in, in that regard of just of just being rough around the edges. So I think that's a, kind of a, a crazy expectation. It's kind of like set up to fail in a way. I, I don't expect that Starfield is going to be a beautifully polished, perfectly done game. And and honestly, I, I really do think that that game isn't coming out even this summer. I really think that we're about a year away from Starfield. I really do feel like that game is still going to launch probably November 23. But man, I just um, do take the time you need because that game has got to come out. And there's going to be heavy expectation with the disappointment that's been Halo's live service aspect. And it's it's kind of the kind of legs it's failed to have. And just the dearth of Xbox first-party content we've had this year, all eyes are on Starfield. There's a lot riding on this game, and it's, it shows that Todd Howard's like, yeah, we're feeling that a little bit. <laughs> now, the other part of the quote from this podcast interview with Todd Howard was actually in regards to Machine Games' upcoming Indiana Jones game. So Machine Games, uh, one of the teams owned by Bethesda, the guys that do the Wolfenstein games, working on an Indiana Jones game that was announced, teased early this year uh, on the podcast Todd Howard said that the game is in a unique genre mashup or will be a unique genre mashup. So I'm really curious to know what they mean by that. But he continues on saying that um, I wouldn't just say it's a mashup. It's it's just that it is unique. It isn't one thing intentionally. So it does a lot of different things. Howard, who named Raiders of the Lost Ark his favorite movie of all time, also called the opportunity to work on this game a definitive love letter to Indiana Jones. He said that Wolfenstein developer Machine Games is the perfect fit for the game with storytelling and how they record it, and that the studio is doing an incredible job. Announced in January of 2021, the Indiana Jones... Oh, man, early last year. Man, I can't I can't believe it's already been almost two years since this was announced. Holy shit. The Indiana Jones game will tell an original standalone story set in the height of the famed adventurer's career. Lucasfilm Games, which is also collaborating on the project, said that some clues to the game's setup could be found in a teaser trailer that was released within the announcement. That was uh, almost two years ago we got that teaser. I think that was like February 21 or something. God, January 21. Wow. It's... Uh, Man, next year's the year to maybe start showing that game. Now that actually, that's not true because it was the game was probably teased. Um, the game was probably teased when it was still like a concept. So maybe we got another year before we see it. But anyway, I'm I'm really excited one day finally see what this game is. Now, to the, obviously, it's not too much to go off of. We know that Todd Howard is really excited to be a part of this. He's a little more hands on with this game than he normally otherwise would be, just because he's not really you know he, he's part of Bethesda and Zenimax, but he's not. 
he's not a creative generally at um, machine games. So this is a little different for him to be a little more involved with this project as a as a uh, fan of Indiana Jones. But uh, also, I mean, I still I still just can't fully wrap my brain around this. We got Wolfenstein, first person shooter, Doom like gory over the top alt history nazi slaying gore simulator and then indiana jones where you have a lot of that crossover it's like world war ii fighting nazis okay but then indiana jones it's like you picture indiana jones as a third person action adventure game maybe something like an uncharted or a tomb raider and none of that is what machine games does and so you wonder it's like i think there's definitely gonna be puzzle solving there's definitely gonna be you know action like probably third person action there's probably gonna be some gun mechanics probably gonna be some melee combat as well so it's just like what what the fuck is this game gonna be and i'm really excited to finally learn more about it but this is the first bit of information we've had in almost two years on this game and i wonder if maybe next e3 if they're gonna finally try to show it i feel like we might not get gameplay of it next year but it is possible we could get some kind of cinematic trailer and while i don't prefer that you know i prefer people to shut up before you know until they're ready to show gameplay i feel like there's just so much excitement around this game and xbox needs some kind of win right now so it's possible that they try and push for a trailer on this game you know and it's not generally bethesda's kind of thing to show a game that early in development with the exception of starfield and elder Scrolls 6 and all that but um I, I don't know in this new world where they're part of xbox i wonder if maybe that's different and this is something that they're going to try to show off to try and get the ball rolling with the, the marketing and the hype and just get people thinking that xbox has games you know but nonetheless i'm, I'm really excited to see whatever this game turns out because machine games i know they can do shooting really well i know they can tell really cool stories can they do third-person action? Can they do puzzle solving? What's this going to look like? And I'm just really excited to see, you know, kind of like kind of like how you got Obsidian making freaking Grounded and Pentiment. It's like, okay, that's a far cry from the games you've made in the past, but these are cool games that they've managed to pull off nonetheless. And so I'm really excited to see what we're going to get from, uh, from the team over at Machine Games uh, now that we're going to go from Wolfenstein to Indiana Jones, but nonetheless, any news on that game is uh, is exciting just because we're all, I think, so hungry to, to finally one day see that game in action. Next up, this is a really cool report that uh, Jez Corden from Windows Central got got you know got a scoop on and, and posted about over at Windows Central earlier in the week about Xbox achievements. And I want to get into this. I want to read his article. Um, it's a you know like a lot of Jez Corden ar- uh, articles. A lot of this is you know, first person kind of like experiential stuff, not just uh, reporting on information. And so just understand, I'm going to read some of this stuff verbatim. It's going to have that first person kind of perspective. But uh, yeah, I think there's some really interesting shit to talk about with achievements here. I'm kind of interested to see what you guys maybe think about this one. So Jez Corden writes on Windows Central, who says, November saw Microsoft's annual hackathon event, where groups of developers, designers, and innovators come together from Microsoft's teams to compete in an event new potential products and services within the adjacent within the adjacent to the Microsoft ecosystem. I think this is the same event where that Xbox adaptive controller was invented a few years ago. Um, the hackathon 2022 event that took place recently saw more than 10,000 inventors inventions uh, compete for the grand prize with more than 68,000 employees across the world of Microsoft taking part in what Microsoft describes as the largest private hackathon. I, Jez Corden of Windows Central, not I, Jesse of Xbox On, recently had the opportunity to check out some of the hackathon project myself, thanks to trusted sources and a couple of Xbox-oriented projects certainly caught my eye. One project included a Windows handheld mode shell for Windows 11, 
mm, that'd be cool for like handhelds that run Windows. Uh, that converts the interface into something more suitable for gaming on a Steam Deck or handheld PC. That were also prototype. There were also prototypes streaming services pitched, which would reward viewers with Microsoft points for watching live streams on Xbox while integrating Twitch and, or Patreon. Mm, bring back Mixer. Uh, another idea included the Xbox inventory system, which would allow you to collect and carry cosmetic and game items between titles. My favorite project, and the one I think is sorely needed, is the extension for the existing Xbox achievement system, something that designers dubbed the Xbox achievement system 3.0. That last example of the Xbox inventory system sounds kind of like NFTs, but anyway. Uh, let's talk about the Achievement System 3.0. Jez says, although it's unclear who was behind the project, a team of designers and developers at Microsoft joined forces during the hackathon event to create a proof of concept, so-called Xbox Achievements 3.0. The system would sit alongside the existing gamer score system, awarding players with PlayStation like bronze, silver, and gold trophies for various per title and even system level accomplishments. For example, in the video shared with the anonymous user abo uh, anonymously above, you can see, sorry, this is a, a video that's attached to the article. You can see a concept medal popping for playing 300 titles on Xbox Game Pass. The presentation also showed how each medal would count and displayed beneath your profile on Xbox.com and on consoles, giving players another way to showcase the accomplishments across various activities on Xbox Live. I'm curious what a lot of you guys think about this because I know for a lot of people, they feel like the Xbox achievement system is dated and antiquated in a lot of ways. And I'm of kind of two minds with this. Um, I like what PlayStation does a lot with their trophy system. I think it's really cool. I think it's a really good example of being inspired by what Xbox did with achievements and then kind of taking it to the next level. And I love that like one gets, you know, one kind of copies the other, gets inspired, does it better than the other one copies that and back and forth. Kind of like what iOS and Android have done for many years where both systems are so good because they just keep copying good shit from one another. But one thing I really love about GamerScore is its simplicity of it just being, you know, it's like an ode to like the old day of like arcade gaming. It's just a high score. It's just like, hey, I play a lot of games and therefore I unlock a lot of achievements. And this gamer score is just a reflection of me playing games. It's like my uh it's like my lifetime achievement score. It's just my high score. It's the number that kind of follows me around as I continue to get more and more experience playing games. I love how it's simplistic. It kind of tells one direct thing. And it's just one number that's tied to everyone's profile. I've always really loved that about the achievement system on Xbox. But I, I do have to admit, definitely, especially beginning with like the Xbox One generation and moving into like today, the, the achievement system has definitely been muddled a, a bit, especially when it's like, you know, it used to be like every game. What was it like in the old days? It was pretty strict. It was like every like AAA game had to have 50 achievements for a total of 1000 gamer score. And every like indie small Xbox downloadable like arcade title had to have like 12 achievements. And I don't know if it was maxed out a certain gamer score, I forget. But um, it's just so crazy. Like as as digital games and indie games, small download games have just become more and more prevalent. And as Game Pass has come in on the scene and just given gamers access to so many games or so many achievements all the time, gamer score has been muddled a bit because it's like, I mean, dude, before Game Pass, you know, it's like a normal Xbox gamers gamer score was like, Oh, you know, like I got this guy's got 20,000, this guy's got 40,000, you know, maybe someone's got 50 or 60,000. They're really good. But dude, now with Game Pass, with the ability to just download games left and right and try everything, and, and there's no cap on anything, and any game can have like a game can have 12 achievements, a game can have 23 achievements, a game can have 50 achievements, a game can have 126 achievements, a game can have whatever it wants, and gamer score can be whatever. It, it just is kind of that thing of like you just download. You know, on any given weekend, you can download like three new games from Game Pass, dabble in each of them for like an hour or two each, 
get an extra like 700 gamer score here or there, you know, whatever. And it's just, you see gamer score shoot up. Now it's like common gamer score for people is like 80,000, 100,000, 130,000 gamer score. And it, it is just this kind of thing of like, it's easier to get achievements than ever before. And there's no like, you know, a gamer score, an impressive gamer score isn't necessary wasn't necessarily achieved impressively because you can just get a lot of low-hanging fruit achievements from whatever and game pass makes that easier more than ever and so i still am kind of of the mind that i prefer the simplicity of just like hey this is your gamer score it's like it's just one number it's tied to your profile it is what it is but you can't kind of put the genie back in the bottle because it has already been muddled and can't kind of be taken back at this point to where like yeah there are a lot of games out there that are just like here's a bunch of achievements for doing practically nothing fuck you you know and like wh what was the game i played this year where it's like i got all the achievements oh crossfire x crossfire x has like it has like 12 achievements or something worth a thousand gamer score and it took me like seven hours of gameplay to get them all like it's so pathetically easy and it was just you know it is kind of a slap in the face to the achievement system when you think about it, because it's like, well, now it just doesn't mean a whole lot. In the, in the Xbox 360 days, if you came across someone who had like 30,000 gamer score, you're like, whoa, that's impressive. Because that means you bought a lot of games. That means you beat those games to completion. It means you really cared about specifically targeting the achievements, knowing that all those games only had 1,000 gamer score. All those games only had 50 achievements, knowing... The only way to get achievements was to buy new games. But now that all of those rules are out the window and a game can have 2,500 gamer score and you can play like 20 games a day because free to play games and because Game Pass, it just doesn't mean as much. It's like you see someone with like 60,000 gamer score or 150,000 gamer score and they can be relatively the same kind of player. And in a world where everyone plays like games as a service type games, it's like, well, maybe this guy puts just as much time to xbox as the guy who has three times as much gamer score but the guy with lower gamer score just plays fortnite and warzone all day long and that's why his gamer score isn't growing it's because he's not playing other games and so i i get it it's like there is this desire for perhaps a system where it's like well what if you could be rewarded for time spent or for dedicating yourself to this or for logging on this amount of, and it's like yeah we could evolve the rewarding system of achievements to be like you know, if you're the kind of guy who just plays Call of Duty all day, it's like, okay, well, here's like a badge that shows that you log into your Xbox and play games four days a week on average or something like that. It's like, okay, that says something. You know, you might not be playing a bunch of different games, but you're playing Xbox every day, you know, or like an achievement that's like, you know, whatever the case may be, like tried X amount of games or spent X amount of hours doing this or that. I, 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 do, I do understand the incentive for that because it, it finds a way to try and, reward players in regardless of the play style that best suits them and the kinds of ways they like to play games and it also differentiates enough so that's like people aren't just exploiting this already easily exploited system of just flat out gamer scores all there is but at the same time it's like i like that playstation has their more rpg kind of more dynamic and and over explain and overdone system of like you get an overall level there's bronze silver and gold and platinum trophies and like these are worth more than those and there's rules about what games can have i like that system it's cool that playstation does that but i kind of like that you can have this choice of like on playstation you have this really dynamic and specific system for how you get rewarded and what the rewards mean but on xbox you just play games you get score for it the higher the score the more means you play so 
I don't know. It's I, I don't know how you balance that. Now, obviously, this is just a hackathon kind of thing. This isn't something that they're going ahead with or it's being greenlit. You know, maybe one day they will have an overhaul that addresses some of these things or introduces features like what this brought up. And uh, but I, I don't think this is something that's imminently happening or something that's an active development at all. And uh, you know, I appreciate people like Jez Corn championing this kind of stuff and bringing this to light because I do think this is a conversation we need to be having about what we want the future of achievements to be because regardless of where you fall on it i do think something does have to change because i I agree it's kind of bullshit when you download some of these smaller games it's like a thousand gamer score and you can get all that gamer score in two hours or when you play a game it's like you know a thousand gamer score but all are but all but there's only 20 achievements and they're all borderline impossible to get like i remember um destiny 2 god destiny 2 has some of the worst fucking achievements ever it's one of those games that has like I think like 18 or 22 achievements or something like that. And they all suck. They all fucking suck. You can play the game for like a thousand hours and not get these achievements because you have to play in very specific ways and do all this stupid shit. It's not fun. You know, like the golden era of, of achievements and speaking of Bungie used to be like back with Halo on the 360 where it would be like, play this level but you know hijack a banshee and don't and don't use your and don't use your assault rifle once throughout the whole level and just do stupid shit like that because it just makes you go back and play the game in stupid and zack and waning sorry stupid and zany and wacky ways which is just like so creative and so fun whereas nowadays games are like beat the game achievement played the game achievement collect all the shit achievement but it can also be stupid stuff like press start for the first time I've sold an item to the store for the first time. It's just like, okay, what are we even doing? There's no there's no standard for how this shit needs to be set. So although I do like the current system that's in place, I do think it needs refinement. And I, I do think there is an argument to be made that maybe that we just need to overhaul the system altogether and kind of find out some way to weigh achievements, not just on gamer score, but in terms of like this achievement means that this was really hard to attain or this player invested a lot of time or ways to kind of differentiate other than just how high is your gamer score versus my gamer score. And so I don't know, man, I would like to see some changes and tweaks. I don't want a whole overhaul. I don't want them to try and get on parity with what PlayStation does because I kind of like there being two different approaches to this, this, this system. But nonetheless, I do think things need to change. And it is cool to see that there are developers out there with ideas willing to test things and try things. And maybe this is the beginning of sparking that idea for Xbox that says, hey, we need to, we need to do something about this. We need to overhaul the system in some way. Because achievements really haven't gotten an update since the early days of Xbox One. And a lot has changed since then, especially with the advent of Game Pass and just rampant free-to-play games. And I think something does need to change here. So be interested to see if you know maybe we're not too far away from you know, a couple of years from now when they actually try to address this and overhaul and maybe drastically update the achievement system for Xbox. All right, guys, let's start to round out. We got some wrap up stories here real quick. Uh, Games with gold have been announced for December. So real quick this month, you can get Colt Canyon and bladed fury for the month of December. I don't know what either of these games are. I've never played them. Uh, Colt Canyon will be available the entire month. Whereas bladed fury will be available from December 16th to January 15th. I have nothing to say about these games. I know nothing about them. These games are incredibly disappointing. Not to say that they're bad games, but it's just, you know, normally you want to have at least one game that is like instantly recognizable. Like, I don't know, like here's Gears 6 or, or Gears 5, I mean, or or whatever it is, you know. Here's the Master Chief Collection. Here's Forza Horizon 4. Like, put in a game there that's like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a big title, but no. Here they are, just always more like stuff that no one's ever really heard of. But anyway... 
those are the games of gold. Continues to be shit. Um, I don't really care about them personally, but nonetheless, I know I, I, I know someone out there must be getting a kick out of games of gold. I kind of wish they would just get rid of it already, but whatever. And then that's going to do it for all of our, our big news, guys. Let's really quickly get into the important enough news. These are the stories important enough to make the podcast, not important enough to warrant their own discussions, uh, of which we have yeah, a handful, I think five or six. So let's kind of get through these real fast. We've got, first of all, Street Fighter Six VGC reports, Game has been raided in South Korea, where it has been issued a 15 certificate. While the rating doesn't necessarily mean the game is imminently releasing, it does suggest that fans could receive word on an expected release date in the coming weeks. After that, VGC reports that Activision has relaunched the original Call of Duty Warzone following the hiatus coinciding with the release of Warzone 2.0. While the original entry of the Battle Royale series is now available again, it comes with some concessions. The game is stripped back. Now it's just a stripped back form of the Warzone Caldera. It, is, it offers standard Battle Royale, solos and quads, meaning that there's no plunder or limited time modes, but it is still available. Next up, VGC reports relays that Sega have confirmed Sonic Frontiers is getting a content roadmap for next year. The publisher said that they are going to do three free free DLC updates throughout 2023. The first one is currently set to add, uh, include a photo mode, a jukebox and a new challenge mode. The second update will include Sonic's birthday, an open zone challenge and a new Coco. Uh, the third update will include playable new story content and playable characters. So that's, I think it's really cool that they're adding all this stuff, especially because it's free. I can't complain. I do look forward to all that, especially the story content, of course. Um, although it does kind of bother me as a Sonic fan that Sonic's getting a fucking content roadmap. It's like, goddamn, just move on, make the next game. Um, but you know, whatever, that's modern gaming, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about Sonic having a content roadmap, but it is cool to see Sonic Frontiers get so much support, especially considering it, it is it is additional, it's free additional content. Next up, VGC reports Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell is being adapted into a radio drama for BBC Radio 4. The broadcaster has announced the eight-part series, which will be broadcast on Friday from December 2nd to 15 p.m., following veteran 4th Echelon agent Sam Fisher on a new mission. The synopsis reads that when a lethal assassin from Fisher's past returns from the dead on a mission of murder, he is thrust into the race against time as a sinister threat to global security is revealed. Next up, VGC reports that CD Projekt have confirmed the upcoming Witcher remake will indeed be an open-world game. In a presentation this week, the company described the recently announced project as a story-driven single-player open-world RPG, a modern reimagining of the 2007 game The Witcher. Next up, Starship Trooper Extermination, a 12-player squad-based co-op FPS inspired by the 97 film, has been announced. Set for release next year via Steam Early Access, the game's latest is the latest game from Offworld Industries, a Canadian developer and publisher behind Tactical FPS Squad and most recently a 50 vs. 50 multiplayer shooter Beyond the Wire. While this game has not been announced for Xbox formally yet, you can hope that maybe it will come to Xbox. I don't know. I just thought it was cool. I know Kronky's excited about this. I've never seen Starship, Starship Troopers, nor have I ever read the book that it is based on, but I've always wanted to read that book, so maybe that will, um, I don't know, maybe this game will intrigue me enough to finally read that book, but I hope to see this come to Xbox because this is kind of cool. Uh, and then lastly, Gameloft have announced that they have delayed the release of the upcoming arcade racing game, Disney Speedstorm. Announced in February, the game is previously scheduled to come to PC and console in 2023 as a free-to-play title, but the game has been delayed. I played the uh, beta for this over the summer. I was a little disappointed. It wasn't that fun, but yeah, I guess uh, we'll, we'll have to wait for an update on when that game is finally coming out. And guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Now, we take a deep breath, we pat ourselves on the back for making it through all the news of the week, and we uh, wind down, we we start to end the podcast with 
your comments. We have four comments to go through this week, and you know how it works if you want to leave a comment. You head on over to youtube.com slash C slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode of the podcast and leave your you leave your comment in the comment section of the video. You can say something nice like Jesse. I appreciate that you want to stream the Game Awards, but you're stupid because the Game Awards are already being streamed. So now you're just streaming a stream, which means you're just copying. And also, if you pee while you stream yourself streaming the Game Awards, that will be you creating a stream while you stream a pre-existing stream. And I'll say that is deep. I never thought of it that way. But you can also leave mean-spirited, dumb comments or nice comments. I don't know if that was the mean comment. You can leave a nice comment. You can say, Jesse, I'm glad that... um, I'm glad that you had the restraint to not buy a $400 gaming chair from Amazon because that would make your back have arthritis and then you would look like an elite gamer and we don't want that to happen. I don't know. I don't I don't know. You can say whatever you want. The sky's the limits with the comment section. I will literally read anything you want me to say. Just fucking write the comment. Make it thoughtful. Don't just write a word like you poop because I don't really know what to do with that comment. But, you know, leave a comment, leave a question, leave a concern, leave a idea that you had or float something by me. See, Let's see what kind of conversation we can generate based on your comment. That's all that really matters. Leave a comment that generates a conversation. Thank you. Our first comment this week comes from none other than Mr. Compassionate Choice LLC, who writes in about high on life and says, Happy Thanksgiving, Jesse. Hope your prime rib was splendid. It was. I made a nice little chicken soup. Nice. Sounds yummy. Are you looking forward to playing High on Life? Yeah, I actually am looking forward to this game. I, I, I When it was first announced early in the year, I was a little bit like of like a, a negative Nancy, a Debbie Downer about this game because I was like, oh, God, the guys from Rick and Morty. Uh, it looks like Rick and Morty. It sounds like Rick and Morty. I can't stand it. But the more and more I see this game, the more I realize I'm just being a grumpy little bitch. This game looks really good. This game looks really creative, really fun really unique, and I, I am looking forward to it. So hopefully, if I'm able to get through Evil West and Callisto Protocol by the time this game comes out, I do plan on jumping into it and giving it a decent try over the uh, holiday time. And uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely going to give it a go. I mean, it's a Game Pass title. Why wouldn't I? But um, yeah, it, it looks pretty damn good. It looks very funny. It looks very charming, very unique. You know, a little bit of strange, uh, Odd World Stranger's Wrath mixed in with a little bit of like your your typical first person shooter narrative driven game. And yeah, I'm I'm here for it. I I like these kinds of games, so I'll 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 bite. So yeah, I'm looking forward to. it. I'm definitely gonna give it a go. I assume a lot of people definitely have their eyes on this game, uh, especially as as it just being a day one Game Pass title. It offers a lot of value for Xbox players. Next up, let's talk about this 360 controller comeback. Mr. Malg writes in says Battlefield 2042 is pretty. Also, did you see that Hyperkin? is releasing an Xbox 360 controller for their series consoles. Yeah, so Hyperkin, these are the guys that did the um, the Duke controller like five, four or five years ago, where they basically uh, made like a modernized version of the original Duke controller from the Xbox OG, and they uh, made it a wireless compatible controller for the Xbox One. Same guys, they're doing it again, but now it's going to be an Xbox 360 controller that works and is modernized and up-to-date to to coincide and play on your xbox series s or x so again i really love this idea just like i did when they did it with the duke um it's one of those things where it's like i want to support this i want to buy this i want to collect this but realistically it's like i'm not i'm not going to use this i i think it's really cool i'm happy they're doing it i'm glad people seem interested enough that they'll buy it and support it and justify something like this being created but it's like for myself it's i can i can barely get myself to finally pull the trigger on a series elite controller but like, I don't know, man. It's the the regular Xbox controller as it stands now is so refined, it's so perfect, it's so great to use 
that it's like, even though I am nostalgic for the Xbox 360, even though I love the Xbox 360, even though for the time back in the day, the Xbox 360 was way better than the Wii remote or the PS3 controller, no doubt. It's just that the Xbox series controller is so much better than the 360. So why the fuck would I waste money on that when it's like, it's just going to be an inferior experience. So I don't know. I'm of a couple of minds of it where it's like, it's a really cool collector's item. It's really cool that it exists. I'm really glad they're doing it. And I see why people are excited about it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, the Xbox controller has been the same controller from the beginning. They've just refined it and made it better and better and better and better. So why would I just buy a ergonomically inferior version of a controller I use every day? You know? So I, I don't know. I, I think it's really cool. I'm really glad it is happening. I'm happy for people that are interested in picking it up. But personally, it's like, I don't know, man. I mean, I just, I, listen, I just told you, I bought the Series S earlier in the week. The Series S is awesome, dude. The Series S has, um, uh, it, it comes with another, I mean, obviously every console comes with a controller. It came with another controller. So now I got the controller that came with my Xbox One. I got the controller that came with my Series X. I got the controller that came with my Series S. And I have an extra controller I bought randomly a year ago. So it's like, I already have like four Xbox controllers. I don't, I don't need to buy anything else. You know, it's just overkill. When would I use it, you know? But uh, I don't know. That's kind of where I am on that. But it is really cool that it exists, and I do appreciate that. All right, our penultimate comment this week is about God of War Ragnarok, and it comes from fan favorite Way of the Lao, also known as Way of the Dolphin Butthole, who writes in and says, Jesse, how you doing? Happy Thanksgiving to you and Kronky and the rest of the family, as well as the Xbox On community. I had to thank you, man, because I saw you had posted your podcast on Thanksgiving Day, and I was like, okay, this is awesome. It's a gaming podcast. I like and I can listen to while I have to go to work and feel my soul die a little bit more. Amen, dude. I feel that every day. The God of War games are, are, are what got me into playing video games as a person in his late 30s slash early 40s. To be honest, I like new games. I like the new games. I bought them and haven't played much and beaten the 2018 God of War. However, I do not like it as much as the first one. Sorry, you're talking about Ragnarok. You got it and you've been playing it, but you don't like it as much as, as God of War 2018. I like the character development in the video game, but uh, but to be honest, Greek mythology was far more of an interest to me in high school, and I don't like the Build-A-Bear look of Kratos has in the new games. I did, I did buy Ragnarok, but I have not played it due to the fact that I am still playing Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak because it has shit tons of content that come. That's that's why I will still play eventually. And there's a lot of other games I want to play first, and I have my that have my interest. I knew Phil Spencer was secretly a dick. I cannot believe he dissed you, bro. Well, anyways, take care and hope to see you on stream where Jesse will play Sonic and gush over it like the head of a cheerleader squad fawning over the captain of the football team in high school. Where the loud? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, dude. Hey, God. Phil Spencer's not a dick. He did stand me up last week when he was absolutely staying at my apartment. I told you he was going to be on the podcast with me, but he was. He spent the whole time in the bathroom. He was having some technical difficulties. I don't know what happened because when he finally came out of there, it smelled like cupcakes. I don't really know how to, how to describe that, but he acted like nothing happened. He acted like he didn't just spend two and a half hours in my bathroom. He acted totally cool about it. I didn't want to make a whole scene about it, so I just didn't bring it up. But listen, the guy's not a dickhead. He's just, he, you know, Phil. He's just being Phil. That's what, what else can I say? But, dude, no, seriously, I do want to address this God of War comment. I, I don't know, man. I, I, obviously, everyone's really high on God of War because it is no doubt the biggest game that has come out this fall season. In terms of just being like a triple A hyped up 
super cool experience that everyone's looking forward to, whatever. I mean, obviously, Call of Duty is a way bigger game in terms of a game that's going to sell units and, and just be played by more people. But no, no doubt, you know, for the hardcore gaming community, for game critics, for people who love storytelling and gaming and pushing the medium forward, God of War is no doubt the big game this fall. And um, I, I'm interested to hear you say that. First of all, I, I per, on a personal level, I just do I, that, that Norse that Norse uh, setting, I think, is way cooler than the uh, Greek mythology stuff, but to each his own, I guess. But um, it's interesting you say that because, I, I mean, I also played God of War 2018. I thought that game was phenomenal. I think God of War 20, 2018 is a very damn good game. Um, and I'm I'm actually shocked because I have not picked up Ragnarok yet, and I have no intention of doing so right now. I will do it eventually, but just not right now. I, I'm kind of shocked because I thought when the game came out, I would be, like, really tempted to jump in i would feel like i'm missing out because everyone's playing it except me but dude i don't i don't know man i feel like the i feel like the vibe i'm getting based on like how people are responding to this game is like everyone feels obligated to say it's amazing but a lot of people are kind of feeling like eh, it's more of the same which isn't necessarily a bad thing don't get me wrong but like i don't know i feel like it's one of those things where people are like oh yeah well i mean from a presentation and polish standpoint and storage standpoint, the game is phenomenal. And so I'm going to give it perfect marks, but it seems like most people are playing the game. They're just kind of like, ah, yeah, it just feels like a continuation of the last one. And I don't know. I'm a little surprised by, uh, outside of like, you know, the gaming critics and the, in the big talkers, just how, how many people just casual gamers are playing it and just seem to be like, yeah, it's a really good game. It's more of the last one. And I, that's not a, again, that's not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't know. I guess I, I feel like, like the Metacritic score and the way some critics are talking about this game doesn't necessarily reflect the way actual gamers are talking about slash playing this game, if that makes sense. I don't know. I'll, I'll get around to this game for sure. My plan is to play it on PC when because now that PlayStation is just putting all their shit on PC. Uh, after a while, I'm like, well, fuck it. I'll just play it on PC because, to be honest, I love PlayStation, but I just it's so much easier for me to stay focused on one platform now with the podcast and just trying to be more in the know on the Xbox ecosystem. So to me, it's just easier for me to wait for it to come to steam and then I'll just play it there. Um, but nonetheless, I definitely have every intention of playing this game at some point. And I think it looks really good, but yeah, man, I'm sorry to hear that you're not enjoying it as much as the last one, especially considering that that's the game that helped get you into gaming, which is really cool. I think it's, I think, I think your story is personally really cool that, that you're someone who came into gaming uh, kind of in your adult life as opposed to it being something you grew up with as a child, because I don't know it's just, it's just it's just cool to show that gaming has evolved so much and changed so much and become such a serious, respectable thing that it can attract people no matter where they are in their life. It, 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 you 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 show that you can buck that trend of like gaming being this thing where it's like just for little kids or people who need to grow the fuck up, and and that you know it's a it's a serious hobby that can be enjoyed and taken seriously regardless of what stage of your life you're in. So I, I think that's actually pretty, pretty fucking cool. But yeah, man, I don't know. I'd be curious to see what you think as you maybe put more hours into the game, but the game looks great. No doubt. I'm sure it is deserving of its, of its marks and everything, but I'm a little curious. I feel like there's kind of a little bit of like two stories being told in this game where everyone feels compelled to say like, it's like game of the year shit. While at the same time, there is a little bit of like a disappointment in how it is just more of the same it doesn't revolutionize anything although i don't think that should have to be the expectation for every game and in this case it probably makes a lot of sense for it to just be more of what the last one was i mean no doubt you know forza horizon 5 is just like more forza horizon 4 and that wasn't a bad thing so you know every game's different all right our last comment of the week i always like to save this one for last headhunting halo comes in with his uh 
whatever this is, and says, So I bought some games on Black Friday. Gotham Knights, Sonic Frontiers, and Saints Row. I haven't played Sonic yet, but I haven't ha- but I am having a great time with Gotham Knights. Why the hell weren't there any Black Friday deals for Game Pass? Usually it's like twenty five bucks for three months in stores, but now when you buy it, it's like fifteen percent off, damn it. Usually I buy all of a year just uh but I only bought six months this time and saved four dollars and fifty seven cents. Woohoo. Hope you had a fabulous Thanksgiving, you fat ass. Much love. Brock Lee, Cock Grenade, Croc Grande. What? And yes, Brock is my name, like the Pokemon trainer. Headhunting Halo, I'm going to start calling you Brock until I forget and then call you Headhunting Halo again. But I must say, sorry that you weren't able to save more money on Game Pass, but more importantly, play Sonic Frontiers. And when you play Sonic Frontiers, get back with me and let me know what you think. I'm really curious to know what you think about Sonic Frontiers. Give me a whole detailed, incoherent rambling on Sonic Frontiers. I crave it. I need it. I desire it. Please make it so... But glad to see that you're enjoying Gotham Knights. It seems like, you know, that that game kind of has an opposite thing of God of War, where it's like, you know, critics and, and pundits are talking about Gotham Knights, and they're just like, yeah, this game's kind of a massive disappointment. It's really unfortunate what happened. But then all, like, the Joe Schmoes I see on Twitter who are just playing it and having a good time enjoying games are like, yo, Gotham Knights, pretty damn good game. I'm really enjoying it. So, it's again, it's just one of those things I feel like the read is just always so different between where critics are at and where the regular consumer is at. But nonetheless, it doesn't matter. I'm sure Gotham Knights is way better than people are making it out to be. And I'm sure God of War is really damn good, whether or not it's the second coming of Jesus or just a really great video game. So in all, all in all, dude, this has been such a good fall. I, I feel like for an otherwise pretty dry year, dude, Gotham Knights, Sonic Frontiers, God of War Ragnarok, Modern Warfare 2, High on Life, Warhammer, Warhammer Dark Tide, Evil West, Marvel Midnight Sun, dude, just Callisto Protocol. We're eating good, dude. If 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 at least one or two of the games I just named didn't didn't grab your attention, then you're not a real gamer and or you're seven years old and you have a Nintendo Switch, you stupid crybaby. Why don't you go watch the Super Mario Brothers movie trailer for the fifth time and cry about how good Jack Black is as as Bowser and how Chris Pratt sounds like Star Wars a little bit when when he when he says Mario's lines. What or Star Lords, not Star Wars, Star Lord. Anyway, I I'm losing it. I'm tired, and my voice is starting to go. So I'm actually gonna, I'm actually gonna wrap this up. But thank you so much for listening to the Xbox on podcast. As always, I greatly appreciate the support, you guys. It really does mean the world to me. Um, you know, I started to see Spotify. That's Spotify rap thing they do every year. And, you know, a couple people have already reached out and said, you know, Xbox ended, Xbox on ended up in my top five most listened to podcasts for the year. And you guys, it, it, like, I genuinely mean it. You know, it's like, I'm, a, I'm a very nobody small time podcaster. So just I, I do want to make it like abundantly clear and sincere that like anytime any of you guys reach out and talk to me, whether it's be like, hey, I like the show or if it's just a kind of rag on me a little bit and leave a, a well-intended but kind of goofy mean comment whatever it is dude you guys you guys make my day and make this all worth it just by supporting the show leaving a like listening leaving a comment interacting with anyway adding me on xbox dropping my stream no matter what like any of these actions any kind of support you guys really make this all worth it and and, and really humble me by by allowing me to continue to do this absolute nonsensical bullshit but uh with that said if i could if i could be so selfish and inclined as to ask you know, if you're an Apple uh, podcast user, please leave a five star review for Xbox on. It would mean a great deal. It helps a lot with trying to get the the search, the you know the search results out there, so more people see the show and can then find it and love it. Hopefully, maybe. Um, you know, if you're on YouTube, 
give the episode a like, subscribe to my podcast on YouTube, leave a comment, any of these kinds of things help. Last week's episode kind of popped a little bit. Usually the podcast only gets like 50 to 80 views on YouTube. Last week's podcast got like well over 200, 250, something like that. So, you know, obviously that's not like impressive numbers, but to know that I got that many hits on YouTube compared to what I normally get, dude, that's huge. That means a bunch of new eyes probably saw the podcast and that's really cool, really exciting for me. So I appreciate you guys so much. I appreciate your support. Even if you don't subscribe, even if you don't drop a like or comment, I just appreciate you listening and I hope you have a great week. Hope you continue to be safe. Enjoy some good games, eat some good food, spend some time with people you love. And uh, until next week, oh, remember next week, live stream on twitch.tv slash lightning extreme on Thursday for the game awards podcast will be out Saturday morning. So just a reminder, but uh, yeah, you guys have a great week. Take care. And until then power your dreams. <laughs>